why don't I have it back to Andy for uh, uh, um, Morty? Morty. <laughs> you did it. Morty, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta conquer the galaxy. Uh, uh, Morty, we, got, we, we, we gotta escape this toxic mist. Yeah, Morty, yeah. you gotta put the seat up your. Up your <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta kill all your navigators, Morty. Hello, law criminals, and welcome to another episode of the Beginner to Expert podcast. I am joined by my illustrious, my beautiful uh, co-hosts. We have me, Hal. We have Eli, Colin, Andy. And today we'll be discussing perhaps the best subject, part two, shall I say, of Warhammer in or Warhammer 40k and 30k and Horus Heresy. Excuse me. We'll be discussing the second half of the Primarchs. But before we delve straight... Woo, big bitches. I've never never been called beautiful before. Thank you, Hal. You you are beautiful to me. Let's uh, let's get get out of here in this. And you are a radiant... (laughs) You are a radiant son. You are a gorgeous man. Um, Only I can be so grossly incandescent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So before we get into that, though, I'm going to hand it over to Eli... To give us the the hilarious, some of you guys are so funny, by the way. It's the hilarious <laughs> answers from your our previous question of the week. Take it away, Eli. Yes, and our previous question was, what was your ultramarine theoretical and practical? I have skimmed through the comments very quickly, so I'm sorry if I missed your funny comments. But I chose four. I was supposed to choose three, but I chose four. Um, first one gets brownie points from me. As from D. Doyle, his theoretical is, wow, I'm excited to learn more about the Gene Stealer cults. His practical is Mommy Megas, uh, uh, emoji. (laughs) 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 Wait, Mommy Megas? we have, uh, Harry... (laughs) Yeah, Mommy Megas. Oh, my lord. I healed Mommy. Yeah, all right. right. No Gene Stealers today, I guess. The forearmed emperor is real, though. Don't forget it. Next, we have Harry Ballantyne. His theoretical is, wow, with so many diverse factions, there must be such interesting narratives and conflicts. I would love to see how these play out. Practical. I can't do the accent. I'm sorry. Day in the life of a true GW author. (laughs) (laughs) Wake up and meet the big wife, Big E. My little ultramarines. Isn't she beautiful? Oh, is she beautiful? Time to, t- time to take Abaddon to Cadia. <laughs> Why are these people What's... so funny? Rev up the grey knight. That was the perfect time for a mic. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Okay, rev up the grave. Next. Did it again? Did you went to stratosphere? Oh my gosh! <laughs> my stomach hurts. 
Oh. <laughs> We're leaving this in, by the way, because it's so funny. <laughs> Did it get off at the same time? <laughs> Rev up the oh, grey knights and then gosh. just pause for effect. I've been yelling the same thing over and over again. Now, All right, one more, one more. One more, one more. Okay, okay. <laughs> I really I hope this works this time. Okay. Rev up the grey knights. Way. <laughs> I think you're too loud. The, the, the mic is like not <laughs> having it. Like... <laughs> oh my gosh. Quick stop at the Eldor and kick them while they're down. Get an Imperial Guard book. Oh. Armageddon's looking lovely today, lads. Just yeah. a bit of orcs. One oh. Tyranid win makes a 38-0 loss better. Pop down <laughs> local hive world. Good old chaos called. Look at that. Oh, Made another Horace Heresy novel. Lovely. <laughs> Pop down, have a couple Primark books with the lads, and finish up at the Fortress of Ball. Oh, that was nice. gorgeous. Genius right. <laughs> that was emotional. For our viewers, that was our third or fourth attempt at reading the poem. <laughs> my cheeks hurt. <laughs> which which my, cheeks? My fucking dimples hurt. What is my face? Ow. That was honestly, we're leaving that in because oh, it's so gosh. funny. Uh, what's the what's the other Harry, two? Harry Ballantyne, you get to uh, We have the Happy Drake. His theoretical is I can't do the axe. I can't do the voice of this. I'll try. It's another uh, one. Is it another Brexit geezer? It's, it's not the it's not a British one. It's uh, it's Hal's favorite guy to quote. Apparently, last time I'm pretty sure. Uh, welcome, Nirvar. Together we shall speak for the law and the land. And shall drive the Mongol dogs of the Empire from Morrowind. And his practical is, is this how you honor the Sixth House and the tribe oh, unmourned? Yes. This is amazing. Uh, and then we have DJ Beast 2145. His theoretical is, I just like 40k lore, and I'm going to buy a few models to paint, but not go overboard. And his practical is, I am in financial debt, and the Grey Horde of models continue to expand. <laughs> I can explain that. No, no. <laughs> oh, my lord. Oh. Great way to start off a quiz. How are you meant to? Oh, you ever man. start laughing, and then because you've been laughing so much, everything someone says is funny? That's in where I'm at really right now. Silly mood. Oh, oh my lord! I'm overstimulated from that. <laughs> I need to have a lie down. <laughs> We're doing Primarchs, though, boys. Primarchs. <laughs> All right. So our next question of the week is going to be: Which Primark would you least want to babysit, and what's the worst case scenario? Use hashtag Prybabies on your comment for us to see it and hopefully feature it next time. We look forward to reading them. And now I will hand it over to Mr. Colin to educate us today. Thank Ooh. you very much. And uh, today, just as a heads up, it's going to be kind of be me and Andy. We're going to go on a sit back and forth. You know, there's a 10 Primarchs left. So, you know, I'll take the first one, then Andy, then back to me. And then on and on until we're done. And so... The first one, let's start off strong with the 11th Primarch. Thank you for coming, everyone. That was the 11th Primarch. Good show. Wow, that was, yeah. oof, that was a lot. The, uh, yeah, Brilliant the, uh, the 11th Primarch, we know even less about him than the second 
at least we have Fulgrim saying the second was humorless and maybe a bit hypocritical. Couldn't even find anything like that for the 11th. Uh, so what I did yeah. was I found a little bit of information on what they uh, could have been up to and where they went. Uh, which, again, there wasn't much, but we know, and uh, this is a little bit of Great Crusade because we know nothing about these people. Uh, they participated in the Rangdon Xenocides, and if that was not the last thing they took part in, it was the last recorded thing they took part in. They, uh, Rogel Dorn refers to their disappearance as separate tragedies, although, which is interesting, but also keep in mind that Rogel Dorn and Gilliman also mimed wiped everyone's information about the Primarchs, including themselves. So that's kind of some unreliable narration going on. And then Gilliman, I believe, in modern times, after he wakes back up, says that his two brothers failed. And then he specifies that the rest of them turned traitors. So he says two of his brothers failed, the rest turned traitor. So now we have three different things that could have happened to them. They could have been wiped out in the same event. Two different occurrences could have happened. Or they didn't turn against the Emperor. They failed their purpose in some way. And... That's all we really have on those two missing Primarchs. There's a little bit more, but not much. Uh, it's intentionally vague, though, isn't it? Yeah. So, obviously, the real answer is so that we, the the wonderful viewers, can make our own quote-unquote uh, made-up Primarchs, essentially, to fill that uh, creative slot. Is that, well, yeah. I have, I have a just um, a question for you guys. Do you reckon we'll ever see... Uh, the return of one of those prim- or, or at least information about these Primarchs or do you reckon they're just going to keep it continuously like we don't know much we'll never know anything I think they're going to keep it unknown and part of that is uh, I don't remember which author said it but one of the people in charge of like the old lore the missing Primarchs and whatnot, says they're supposed to be at a reference to the lost legions from Rome at Teteberg Forest that were wiped out by the oh. Germans so, and if that's the case, then their whole point was essentially just to be like, hey, it's like this, uh, the cool thing with the Romans had where they all died. So I'm hoping for like a 60 chess move by Dan, Mr. Dan, huge schlong Abner. <laughs> he, um, he's, his, his official title, he might have a, he's been talking about like a twist in the Beckwin novels about, um, obviously the possible return of Constantine Valdor. But even mm-hmm. after he's said that, there's he said there's a huge, huge he emphasizes huge twist coming. And I'm I've got like this like little thing in my head where it says the huge twist could be like it's actually not Valdor. It's one of the missing Primarchs. But I don't know if they'd ever be brave enough to do that. Which <laughs> is Valdor comes back with one of the armies and like, I found them behind the bins. Imagine if they come back and write like the missing Primarchs, they became the Tyranids or something like that. Oh my God. That would yeah, be. Yeah. I, I, I had like, a, I, I, before I like knew much about it, I, was like, I wondered if like one of them had joined a Xenos species, like the Tau, and they were like, no, you're not. No, no. You didn't get the memo. You're not. Al- Stop it. Or like they went really far out into the galaxy and never came back or something. Like they were I sent out about that too. a task. You know, a cool. Like a little fan story I read was they were uh, sent out of the galaxy, and the Tyrans were running from the two legions. Uh, that, that was just that was just a neat little fan thing, and also probably 
overestimating the Space Marines a bit. Two legions versus all of the high fleets ever. Uh, I do have a theory that, that the the Rangdang Xenocides were so bad because the or the Rangdan was supposed like Eldritch level horror type. And so maybe when they say that they failed, maybe they one of them or two of them got turned forcefully against the Emperor. And so therefore maybe, the shame, maybe the shame of them, that had to be raised. Maybe one of them did that. Maybe one of them was dispatched to somewhere and they never came back. It's like, oh well, you failed. Like they just went, Oh, we never saw them again. They went to they went to the far reach of the galaxy. They were given a task and they failed, and we never saw them again. Could All raised by Eldari. That's my other theory. <laughs> Ugh, That'll be cool though. That would have been perfect. Also, uh, we I feel like again I should say this has all just been like theory crafting we've just done. There's yeah, pure or, speculation. Yeah. So uh like I said, all I have is those little bits I mentioned with the Rogol and Gilliman and the ringed and Xenocides. After that, throw a rock. You might be right. You might be wrong. <laughs> Do you guys think the Primarchs can double jump? <laughs> yeah, also. <laughs> okay. Can. The, the context of that joke there, boys and girls, is it was a Listen would you it. rather would you rather be able to double jump, but every time you double jump, you soil yourself, shall we say? So would you do you think Primarchs can double jump? <laughs> So I'm gonna get too yeah. silly with this. Oh man! Oh, did you have one to ask us? Actually, oh yeah, uh, it oh, was. Uh, you gain the ability to fly, and you can either fly for ten minutes a day, or as long as you want. But if you take as long as you want, every hour you need to just shit out of the sky like a bird. <laughs> Why is it always oh, about shit? I don't know. <sighs> which is better? People type in the comments in the chat. Like, which is better? Like being able to double jump or fly? But you have to defecate. <laughs> That's our second question of the week. Second question. <laughs> That's the unofficial uh, one. And uh, and with that, the next Primark, Andy, take it away. Okay. Um. They came bounding over. <laughs> Interesting link, you know, I was talking about shit. No, um, so we're now going to talk about the 12th Primarch, which we do know something about. All the rest of the Primarchs of this episode we know about. And this Primarch would be known as Angron, or very angry man to the community. Uh, Angron was found on the world called Nuceria within the Dushelica Mountains. And uh, interesting thing about Angron, the guy who found him found him surrounded by a bunch of dead Eldar. And the guy was like, huh, this to this toddler's killed. I mean, they say Xenos. It's not clear it's the Eldar, but it's assumed to be the Eldar. Um, this guy finds this Blech. this boy amongst a bunch of corpses of probably Eldar. There is a theory that the Eldar saw Angron's future and tried to assassinate him before he grew up, but that's speculation. Um, this guy found this boy and he went, oh, he's obviously quite capable in a fight. I'll take him to House Falkir, which was a ruling house of the oligarchical society of Nuceria. Uh, this house then said, hmm, interesting, we'll buy the boy off you, we'll <laughs> enslave him, and we will name him Angronius Falkir after their house name, which also translates in Nuserian as Child of the Mountain. Now, as soon as they bought the kid, they chucked him into the gladiatorial fighting pits, uh, because Nuceria, its people were oppressed by the ruling elite, but to kind of distract them, they had gladi gladiators kill each other for, for blood sports, and that seemed to do the trick. Um, the boy was pitted against an acid-spewing monster alongside a hundred gladiators, and they were on a ziggurat platform, which, as the creature spewed poison and, well, well, acid, it would rise up 
until the platform shrank. And so Angron had to basically beat to death everyone else who was on the platform so he could survive as the only one left standing. Uh, pretty, pretty grim. As he matured and Primarchs, as they do, they basically mature very rapidly. He was mentored by a gladiator and uh, correct me if I've said it wrong, but it's a uh, Oenimus, I believe it is. I think that's right. Yeah, sounds, well, they're all sounds just, right. They're all tough it's, to pronounce. It's anyway. one of those Greek spellings. You know, it's O E N O M A U S. So Oenimus, I think, is how you pronounce it. I wrote, my, I wrote my college thesis on the Peloponnesian War, and I still don't know how to spell Peloponnesian. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> and how's the dyslexic? So yeah. uh, I have all, a lot of my good my. My best mates are uh, from Cyprus, and if they are watching this, please don't judge that I couldn't. <laughs> I didn't get the Greek right, brothers. Uh, please. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, there's to get back onto Oenimus, if that is indeed how you say his name. He was an older gladiator, a bit of a veteran of the pits. He mentored and fostered Angron. Um, unfortunately, uh, the the high riders, as they were called, the elites of the planet, were kind of fed up with. Angron winning and winning and winning and you know the the crowds adored him he really enjoyed fighting despite his circumstance and they said okay we want you to kill your foster father in a fight Angron refused so the guards captured him restrained him and they implanted Angron with a with a nasty implant of the brain called the butcher's nails and the butcher's nails essentially are these contraptions that are grafted into your skull dig into your brain and dig deep and prevent you from feeling any pleasure from anything other than violence. Um, it's described in many accounts of how it's like, sometimes it's like a, a rage that kind of shuts off your, your cognition to an extent. Some people who have this implant, they just wake up and they find themselves covered in blood and they go, oh, what was that about? Other people, they say they only are able, like Angron says, he's only able to dream once he's done a, a massacre, basically. So it's he's always got this nasty pain inflicted on him and the only way to cause it to stop for a few minutes is to kill someone so it's really really nasty um angon gets a lot of flack but it's kind of understandable when you have something that's digging into your skull every day and going kill 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 or i won't let you have a sleep you know it's pretty nasty um when this was fitted he tore his foster father limb from limb in the arena and he was very upset about this he didn't like the fact that he just like butchered his like only mentor Unwillingly. Um, it's a bit of a bleak episode so far, i got to admit. <laughs> Start off he, well, he's called the... There's a reason he's called the broken, like, Primark yeah. or, you know, Red Angel. He's, he's not... Uh, no, no one is speaking highly of Angron in certain circles in the Imperium, mm. shall we say. And he's the most tragic. Even more so, and I would say, more so than Conrad Kurz, who we mentioned in the previous one. Because at least, you know, Conrad, he grew up in a nasty place. He didn't have to like butcher his father figure to death without any control. Um, debatable, I suppose. Uh, but basically, he then said, Right, I'm going to escape the gladiatorial pits. He gathered and trained the gladiators and called them the Eaters of Cities. 2,000 of them escaped the pits and they ran to the mountains of Deshelica, where, where his gestation pod had landed. They were whittled down to about 1,000 men and women. Then the Nusarian High Riders sent seven armies to, to kill them. The Emperor of Mankind found Angron, transported himself and his custodians to the planet and said, Hey, Angron, um, kind of been watching what you've been up to. Um, I will help you kill the High Riders and save your people if you 
take command of the 12th Legion, which I've reserved for you? Engron said no. The Emperor was not happy with this response, so he teleported him onto his flagship and left all the gladiators to die. Um, definitely in the community, one of the mo the there's a lot of people say the Emperor was a very bad person. This is one of the most highly re like referred to events where they're like, yeah, bad dad. Um, but Angron had most to watch controversial as well. Yeah, it's, it's very I mean, controversial. I mean, because, the, um, the Emperor basically said, you know, you can't win without my intervention. You don't really have, like, these These are just some gladiators. Um, I made you for a purpose. Go and do it. And Angron said no. And so the Emperor was just like, no, nah, all right, you need, to, you need to learn from this in the harshest way possible. It's a shame um, as well, because compared to all the other legions, really, like the people who are like the friends or, you know, warriors slash servants of the Primarchs are usually mm. then elevated into the legions whereas yeah angron's one of the few ones who was like nah we just we're just gonna let your people you know screw them yeah i i literally just finished a video on angron and i started with the quote where he's he's saying lorgar got corferon the lion got Lufa. did i get anyone no and it's basically just him ranting about how he was always mistreated by the emperor um but despite this uh angron was installed as the uh the the general and commander of the 12th legion known then as the warhounds uh after he <laughs> maimed some of the captains when they tried to like talk to him uh <laughs> oh, that's awful yeah they went in like one by one didn't they yeah they were like oh my gene father smack oh he's dead uh he was not happy um, at what point do you just give up on that like how many captains need to die before you go let's just let him i think it was like sit there six there was like Off a lot of right one. He killed the chapter master. He literally went, I am the chapter. Bang. Oh, his head's gone. What? Like, I think his name is Gria. Um, but yes, not a great start. Uh, the eighth captain, Khan, managed to convince Angron that they were worthy of his, you know, the legacy of his now slain gladiatorial creed. Um, Angron would give the world eaters 31 Nusarian hours to comply to bring worlds into compliance, and if they failed, he would kill a tenth of all of the Legion, which was pretty nasty. Uh, Bird Rabo did that once, I think it was, when he first was installed, but yep. Angron yeah. did it every time they failed. Um, and basically, over time, he, he was fed up with how weak they were. And some of the Astartes went, all right, we want to be like Dad. We want to prove ourselves. Um, we're going to make our own butcher's nails and put them in our skulls and be like our father. All of them died. So, Ang um, so Angron was like, you're all weaklings. My my gladiators weren't Astartes and they survived the procedure. You're all weak. And he just left. He just left for two years. Um, Khan managed to track him down and convince him, you know, we are worthy. He was the first to be successfully implanted with the butcher's nails. And because of that, more Astartes started to take them on until the entire legion, apart from the librarians, was just a bunch of berserkers. And his resentment for the Emperor, as well as the fact that the World Eaters were just great at killing and they didn't derive any pleasure other than slaughter, would lead to his downfall during the Horus Heresy. And that's basically the primer for Angron. Do we have any questions? I was going to say about um, New Syria itself, because we don't really see it that much, other than when, I guess, spoilers, he returns to it during the mm. Horus Heresy, but... I would. Oh. I haven't read the Primarch books. I'm not 100 percent sure what new, other than just gladiators. I'm not sure what new well, series. There is an interesting 
There is an interesting thing about Nusaria. It's basically within Ultramar. It's very close. Yeah. So cool. you have like Rabute Gilliman with his 500 worlds and like, not, not necessarily a paradise, but in a really nice, stable environment. And just on his doorstep is this dis- despicable slave society that has blood spores. And you think, uh, there is, I, I did see an artwork once of, of uh, an alternate universe where Gilliman discovers Angron and it's like, he salvaged his, uh, but no, um, was not meant to be. And uh, it, it was apparently technologically sophisticated enough to be a nice place to live if you were the ruling elite. Uh, the civilians it wasn't like chemos where they were struggling to survive they they just they were just poor and they were kept repressed by the society that ruled them it was uh, a, in fact yeah. speaking of wasn't if i remember correctly nuceria was technically under gilliman's purview in the great crusade mm. if i remember correctly yep. he didn't really do much with it because it was angron's home world but yeah he was, didn't want to overstep the bounds <laughs> yeah but it was technically his world to uh look over which was neat mm. and that's why Again, jumping further ahead, when the Shadow Crusade happened, that's how Ultramar got there so quickly, because Lorgar and uh, Angron were persecuting the Shadow Crusade, and then the nails are biting so bad into... Because here's the thing, Angron was dying because of these implants. He was definitely going to die. And it was, like, a few years, every battle he's in, he gets worse and worse and worse. So Lorgar had to try and, like, divert them to Nuceria to try and get them taken out of his brain. But the, the Imperium couldn't do it. They were like, if we take these out of his head, he's going to die. Definitely. So Angron is really tragic in that there's just he was he was unsalvageable. There was nothing anyone could do. I'll say one last thing just to finish on him. There is something slightly redeeming, very so slightly redeeming about him, <laughs> which was that he was always like he's always in pain, like the entire. He's always like he's in headaches and he's a loner the entire time. Like all the other Primarchs kind of like mentor and bond with their legion. He didn't until <clears throat> the actual Horus Heresy, like. Just before Angron is too late to save him almost. That's what makes him so tragic in the end, is that he actually, I think for the first time in the Horrors Heresy, goes to the mess hall in his flagship and actually sits and eats with his warriors. Cause at least at this point of like over a hundred years, then he starts to think they're worthy, and then it basically doesn't last. Mm. Which that's I that's all I was him. Khan was pretty much the guy who 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 saw to that glimmer of hope. And then the nails. Yeah, yeah, not great. And then the nails, and then the nails, nailed it. But uh, but I suppose um, if if there's nothing else, then I suppose we could talk about the absolute opposite of Angron with, with uh, Colin's next pick. On Romanus goes live. Anus, vocative plural of Anus is Annie. Indeed, and we mentioned him earlier. Speaking of the man himself, Rabute Gilliman, Ooh. the Primarch. Ooh. Of the Ultramarine, Ultramarines, Ultramarines. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Ultramarine. Maybe it's Ultramarine. (laughs) (laughs) Gilliman, the greatest of them all. If you want to just do yourself a favor and uh, open a new tab and put on the Chaos Gate Ultramarine soundtrack while I'm reading this song, (laughs) the chant. Uh, He, our blue boy, landed on the planet of Macrog, which. It's not, you know, the nicest place. It's not like a paradise world, but it's definitely out of all the worlds the Primarchs landed on, one of the better ones. Uh, it was basically just Greco-Roman culture, but in space. Uh, they actually did have a little bit of a space empire, which was rather unusual for uh, human civilizations at this time because of all the warp storms that were going around. 
But Makrog managed a very small one because a lot of the planets were relatively close to one another. They could manage some interstellar travel. And when he landed, he was adopted by a man named Connor Gilliman, who, sure enough, that's where he gets the name, Rabute Gilliman. And Connor is a Chad. He's quite a cool dude. It is a shame that uh, what's shortly going to be happening to him, <laughs> he gets Caesared. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Uh, and very interestingly, Gilliman has a mother. He's uh, one of the only Primarchs with, like, a nuclear family. Uh, it was Connor's Seneschal, Tarasha Uten. Uten. Hashtag Ultramom. <laughs> Indeed, the Ultramom herself. Ultramom. <laughs> Nice. Uh, <laughs> Seneschal is more or less just a fancy way of saying secretary in medieval speak, if you were wondering what that is. So, that. And he, as all Primarchs do, grew very, very rapidly. So, I believe it was when he was 11, he was already leading campaigns on his home planet. Uh, one specifically mentioned was a group of people known as the Illyrians, which is just straight up copy-pasted from Roman history. <laughs> uh, but... You know, it's it's Greco-Roman space, so it fits. And while he was away on these campaigns against the Illyrians, he learned a couple key things, chief among them that diplomacy works. Sometimes it's better to just go, hey, can we hash out an agreement? Because uh, he noticed that oftentimes he could work out surrender arrangements and other such things and avoid co battles that would just decimate the land. So he learned that. And... Unfortunately for him, when he while he was away, Connor was slain by an assassin uh, hired by a treacherous ally of his. And I believe Gilliman returned to hold his father in his arms as his dad died in front of him, which very depressing. Oh, damn. Um, but this helped teach him a couple more lessons. Uh, one chief among them is that sometimes life just happens out of your control. And he learned from that, which is uh, something I talked about in a video I made on Gorilla Man. Also, so he still had Ultramum. He did have Ultramum okay. still. You should also mm -hmm. switch from um, carpet to marble flooring because yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> really you can't get that out of the you can't get that out of carpet. He didn't know the recipe. It was an emergency. I've tested not, my, not to undercut the, not to undercut the seriousness. <laughs> no, no, dad's. Passing. I've tested. I've tested my finger while I was on my bed, and the blood dripped on the sheets. That stuff does not come out. So, oh, do you, oh, you want to know one thing? There's like there's a website called Murderabilia where you can buy like macabre stuff, and apparently someone spent I think it was seventy thousand pounds or dollars on a Oof. scarf which had the blood of one of the French kings soaked in it, where they used to like oh my Lord. they beheaded them with the guillotine and it soaked into the scarf and they'd like flick the blood around in a in a spin. Why would you buy well, that? Because people are macabre and people have too much money than sense. <laughs> if I heard that recently I was like, oh that's weird. That and I, I feel like it was King interesting. Louis why would you do, why would you buy that <laughs> <laughs> it makes you less interesting because the object is more interesting than you I do. No. <laughs> stop uh, don't stop. have an answer for that one uh, but anyway uh, murdering political figures uh, Connor's dead <laughs> and Gilliman also learned that sometimes it's best to not keep that cycle going because he knew if he killed uh, his father's killer himself, he would set a precedent. So he deterred, uh, he deferred, pardon me, uh, the sate of his father's killer to the Senate, who then proceeded to kill him. 
And he pushed his father's dreams for Macrog into fruition. He turned it into a meritocratic society without corruption and fair to all. And he essentially was leading it, as many Primarchs are wont to do. And uh, as I believe I mentioned in the Ultramarine video, funnily enough, the Emperor knew where Gilliman was for a couple years by this point. <laughs> uh, it's just there was some inclement weather in the warp, so he couldn't reach him. So, <laughs> just uh, because they, it's like asking Scotty's, what's the weather like? Still rubbish. All right, I'm going to play tennis. All right, well, <laughs> go, go, go somewhere else, I guess. Uh, so that meant by the time that the biggie found Gilliman, Macrag was an interstellar empire that was growing pretty steadily, annexing new worlds, bringing them into the fold. And yeah, and Gilman took command of his ultramarines, uh, purged those Osirian cybrids, some xenos that defeated the ultramarines beforehand. Make sure to go watch our ultramarines video if you haven't for more on that. Boop. And one final thing I think I'd like to note about Gilman is that he never really considered the emperor to be his father. He was his creator and, you know, his emperor, but that was it. As far as he was concerned, his father was Connor Gilliman and his mother was Teresh Uten. And even, in fact, whenever Gilliman was in trouble, he'd look to his mother for guidance, not whatever Big E would have said, which I thought was really cool. For his personality, where did he get the... Because if someone is new to Warhammer and they, you're going to hear a lot about Gilliman's thing about... Administration. Or like, I mean, like theoretical and practical... And obviously being an administrator. I don't know where the theoretical, practical, uh, just as a brief explanation for people, his the way he would always operate, like even in war and outside of war is, with my information I have, what is the theoretical, but what is the practical thing I can enact on the information I have? So, but I, I never knew where that kind of comes from. Is that his own creation, do you think? Uh, I believe that was just... Uh uh, if, if, bleh, all right, hang on. Full sentence stop there in my head. Uh, start over. Start over. <laughs> that was just a result of this uh, planet he grew up on. It was very Greco Roman, so everything was nice and organized because good old Roman. I think in, um, in their archives, they had a copy of Star Trek on VHS and they'd watch episodes <laughs> of Spock and they're like, mm, let's take all emotion out of it. We'll just do the thing that's logical. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think anyone specifically taught him that like this is how you divide it into theory and practice i think just as a result of his father's oh, teachings God. and his mother and all that stuff theoretical my dad's a great guy practical, practical. he's, he's dead, dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord uh, yes. i think just as a result of uh the society he grew up in we live in a society uh we, we do in fact live much, in a much society. it's just so it's just so crazy like the opposite of like we go from angron to gilliman it's like Gilliman, I cradled my father in my arms as he died, and Angron, I pulled my father's arms off with my arms. It's like <laughs> such a difference. Quite the contrast. And they were like five feet away from each other, relatively. Yeah, exactly. The whole like to seeing the like the, the poor neighbor, you're like, oh, they have it pretty rough while I'm in my nice palace. What makes him your to favorite? Because be uh, if, if someone was gonna ask you that, because most people like Gilliman, but they don't put him in that top spot. So what makes him your favorite, shall we say? I don't know. Warhammer being a war game setting and just what it is. I just, I appreciate when someone comes around and goes, I'm going to use my head and not my gun for my first thought. In, in a world where the, 
the standard protocol is shoot first, ask questions never. I like when someone like Gilliman comes around and he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna use my head. I'm going to actually talk things out. It's like it's just and a he, nice contrast to ev- pretty much. He shoulders the most burdens of anyone. He's like, I will take care of it. I will take the responsibility. I'll do it. And he has to he doesn't he's not as powerful as some other characters in the setting, but he just goes, Fine, I'll do my best, and that's quite admirable. Yeah, he's he's very like he's filled with resolve to do what he determines is right. And I don't know, like and he uses his head. Like he thinks like he's forward planning. He might not always get things right, but he actually tries to think for himself rather than just go, Oh, this is what the Emperor says to do. I'm gonna do that. He's like he's no. a competent character. Yeah, or, he's, or, or the very few in Warhammer. He's like, comp- he, he he wins me over by virtue of being basically competent. If you put him in a room by himself, he won't fall apart. I'll never impress you then. Self burn. And with that little primer on Gilliman, why don't I have it back to Andy for uh, um, Morty? Morty. Smell that shit! Just smell that. That's gone. Smell that. <laughs> you didn't. Morty, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta conquer the galaxy. Uh, Morty, we, got, we, we, we gotta escape this toxic mist. Yeah, yeah. Morty, you gotta put the seat up your... Up your <laughs> I mean, you, gotta, you gotta kill all your navigators, Morty. I mean, you were just saying, <laughs> you were just saying like Gilliman is like the most, oh, I'll do it and I'll be practical. It's like Mortarion is the opposite of that in a lot of ways. But let's let's start from the beginning. Um, so Mortarion is the Primarch of the 14th Legion. Uh, he would be spirited away to the death world of Barbarus, which is uh, very originally named because it was a very barbaric place to live. Uh, this planet was coated. It was it was absolutely enveloped in a poison mist and toxins and fumes that would just kill you if you breathe them in. And it was ruled by necromantic overlords, so guys who could raise the dead, create little warring armies and states. Build, they built fortresses, they built strongholds, and they fought each other with the dead that they raised from the ground. Could I just um, say something really quick? Yeah, I'm so angry. This is the biggest presence necromancy has in 40k. It's so annoying to me. And it's a footnote. Nagash was footnote. right there, and you just stepped all over him. <laughs> that Pretty reminds much. me of when we spoke, Colin, about how the Eldar should be the undead faction because that would just be oh my yeah, Eldar, uh, Eldari ghosts of legend. Like oh come on, great Eldar here. I know. The, the, I wish I wish the dead did more things in 40k. I'm that meme. Oh, wait, I'm editing this, so I'm put that meme of you know the video of the guy who gets his credit card. You're like, mm, I want that. And he slams the table. Like, <laughs> yeah. Give me that. I want that. <laughs> oh man, I was like, so, why is it they only have undead there? Though it is really annoying because it's just. To be fair, maybe. Nurgle does a lot of undead stuff as well. It's not the same though, is it? No, it's not it's the same. same. It just feels too chaotic. Then it's not proper mm. necromancy. Yeah, um, so among these uh, overlord necromancers, there was a guy who was known as the High Overlord. And I, I, he, it's, is it Nekar? Nekar? N-E-C-A-R-E? Can you, Nicari, we can call it Rick Sanchez if you want. Rick Sanchez. Have you watched Rick and Morty? I get the feeling yeah, you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first like, season or two, at least. 
the better ones, yeah. Well, there's no season seven at the moment. <laughs> you know, we're not going to go into it. Though. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd probably just go Nakar, but I Nakar, yeah. It sounds oh, like Nakara. It's going to be Rick yeah. Sanchez on the video for. <laughs> oh god! I mean, to be honest, it's, it's not far from Necromancer Nakar. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, I guess. Such um, as the power of Nagash. Oh. Such as the power of Nakar. Yeah. Oh. So this this guy, this guy called Nakar Nakari, whatever. He put. He found Mortarion among the dead he'd resurrected, and had a, he'd had a skirmish with another overlord, and he was like, he just said crying, and he's like, "What's that noise? I've never heard that before." Oh, it's a thing, and he he went, "Oh, there's a baby. How is this baby not like dying from toxin exposure? Because we're in. There's a reason there's no humans around. It's because it's too poisonous for them to get in the way of our little scraps between me and the other necromancer." Uh, no idea why they were scrapping in the first place. I guess they they had a club and they were like, let's start with necromancy, yay, and got out of hand. Um, but Mortarion, they, he put Mortarion in a tower next to his fortress, his big fortress on the highest peak of the world. And this fortress was just high enough that as the child grew up, he wouldn't be comfortable because he could tolerate the poison mist because he was a Primarch. He couldn't live in the peak where this guy was because it was too toxic. So he put him just in that sweet spot where he would like struggle to breathe for the rest of his life. Um, like Goldilocks in a tower. What, yeah, what? but but Goldilocks is Goldilocks with much <laughs> less good hair uh, and a very gaunt expression. But yeah, so he he put him in this tower, and over time. Mortarion built a tolerance for the poison because he's already a Primarch. He's pretty good at resisting poisons and stuff. I mean, Gilliman got shot into space and breathed at, like somehow didn't die of not breathing for a few minutes in the vacuum of space. But Mortarion, he, he got a tolerance going. And eventually he escaped. He killed the guards and he escaped. And he was able to roam the planet through the poison waste because he could tolerate the poison. And eventually he found a human settlement. And he was like, oh, these, these things, they're like me. They look like me. They're humans. Huh. And so the the little town he found got attacked by one of the rival necromancers and some of his monsters. Um, Mortarion picked up one of their... They were the, the people on the planet were farmers, and he picked up one of their harvesting tools, one of their scythes, and he killed the monster. And the necromancer went, Haha, I'm just going to sink back into the poison. You can't catch me. And then Mortarion just stormed after him. And the last thing the necromancer saw was he was amazed, like, what is this human doing? And the poison was like the scythe cutting his head off. <laughs> it's like cocky necromancer, really got it. Um, and yeah, from there, Mortarion, he rallied the Barbarans to create a resistance. He he was taught, he was actually mentored by Nikar. So he he was actually raised to be... The, uh, the 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 lineage he was he was he was raised to take on what this high necromancer had built as like a, a descendant of sorts so an adoptive son so he did teach him things and Mortarion used this knowledge to to build fortifications and to to improve uh, the the people's technology to extent he he knew arcane arts although he didn't like them because Mortarion's big trait is he hates the warp and magic and sorcery because of you know being raised by a necromancer does that to you um and eventually mortarian managed to kill all the the the, the necromancers except for his foster father and as time went on his so-called death guard that he assembled they improved their weapons and armor he got blacksmiths to, to craft ever better suits that could that he could 
bring his forces with him through the poison waste and they wouldn't die, but they could never get to the peak mountain where the big fortress was because it was too poisonous. And after an attempt, Mortarion went to his village and there was a guy in the, in the village known as, I think it was the Outlander, they call him. Spoilers, it's the Emperor. I can't, rem- I can't remember if it was... Or did he go by a revelation? Doesn't he do that from whenever when he's pretending not to be the emperor? I think he goes by. Yeah, he does that in the last church. I think doesn't he? He does it a couple of times in the books. Whenever he's pretending to be someone, he he like hides him. He's like true. You know, he's like I must say something else. Something like there. He like he glows like a (laughs) bright beacon, and uh, yeah, but he goes by revelation. I think I just love. It's not relevant. I just thought. I mentioned it. I love the idea that the Emperor in his flagship has like a costume disguise wardrobe and he's just like, what disguise am I going to wear today? <laughs> like got, got the glasses with the moustache and you know. Like, I'm going to be the Emperor's a big fan Elvis, of cosplay man. conventions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the Outlander in this, uh, in this case and this Outlander was talking to the elders of the village and he was like, um... This guy who's in charge is obviously a very bad guy. How about I help and we'll, we'll kill the necromancer and job done. Mortarion resented this because he was like, I can do it myself, dad. He didn't know he was his dad at the or time. Or was it he's more like, like, oh, jeez, I can kill him. Oh, jeez, oh, I'm just about to I go. Oh, jeez. Pretty much. He was a moody you know, teenager. But yeah, the emperor then went, oh, all right, mate. You're a bit you're a bit big for your boots. All right. Go up there and kill him on your own. And if you do, I'll leave you alone. You'll never hear from me again. But if you fail, I'll kill him. And then you have to swear fealty to me and do what I say. So Mortarion goes, Oh fine. And despite the Death Guard saying, No, 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 including Callus Typhon and the original members of the Death Guard, they're going, No, 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 you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on. He went up to this big citadel on the mountain peak. He got to the gate and then he collapsed. Because the poison was just too toxic. He couldn't he couldn't deal with it. And then his foster father came out of the fortress, bloated day, and he's like, you're weak, yeah, pathetic. And just before he killed Mortarion, the Emperor stepped in, cuts him in half with his flaming sword, and goes, you lost the bet. And uh, from then on, Mortarion was installed as the leader of the 14th Legion, then known as the Dusk Raiders. Very quickly, he would change them to the Death Guard, and they would take the cultural, tra- cultural trappings of Barbarus. He replaced, he, he solely recruited from Barbarus, so there was no Terran Astartes being drawn in, despite their losses over time. He hated psychers, so he wouldn't allow any psychers in his legion. Um, he was one of the, he was the main opposition during the Council of Nikea, where um, the Emperor saw, had the question, should we ban people who use the warp because it's kind of malevolent, we don't really need to trust it, or should we use it because it's useful? Uh, Mortarion was the main guy who, who, wanted to stop the use of the Librarius. Um, and among his Primarch brothers, the only person who really liked him was Horus. Conrad Kurz kind of respected him because they were both a bit messed up, but Horus was the only one who treated him as a person. All the other Primarchs, they saw this pale, Grim Reaper-esque dude who's quite tall and you know skinny-looking and he breathes poison out of a rebreather. He's weird. He's like, ugh. Gilliman looks at him, he's like, oh, that's weird. He's weird. He's it wasn't weird. friendly. He was definitely... Mm. He, he was perfectly described as only friendly in his own company, like only mm. amongst the bar- Barbarans? Barbarans. I mean, he, he grew up in a tower on his own, surrounded by undead people. Like He's not got a great personality. <laughs> he was not sociable. 
but I, I had to say that I had this scenario like absolutely locked in my head now. I was still the emperor being like, oh, they, they, oh I killed it, Morty. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I got the necromancer, Morty. It's like, oh, do what I say, Morty. I, I was thinking of that meme with the wrestler standing behind the other wrestler. It's like the the Nakar, he's gloating to Mortarian, and then the emperor's just behind him, like just, waiting for the shoe to You could do drop. an art rendition because he's got the long hair. That'd be amazing. Oh, love that. Judy, to explain very slight though with Mortarian everyone we all, I was saying I had a rant before we even recorded this but <laughs> Mortarian is such a sound uh, like a word he's such a wuss he's, he's a wet wipe because um, <laughs> unfortunately in the law they do like basically we're like oh we need someone to be defeated and humiliated so this other character yeah. looks cool he, he, uh, he blames everyone for all of his problems he's always moaning and complaining he's not very competent it's like oh he's terrible his his whole issue, th- just for someone who is new and like, why why did, why did they make him sound so bad? His whole thing kind of is that he thinks he's like a hero, even though he loves he he's a gaunt, horrific looking thing. So that's the reason why he resents the Empress so much. Is one he doesn't like being uh, forced to do something against his own, you know, forced to stay in a tower, forced to become a a minion to a necromancer, obviously. Most people don't enjoy that. But his whole thing is, funny enough, Mortarian thinks he's a hero. So his hero's journey was meant to be that he destroyed the evil, bad Mm -hmm. villain, the necromancer. And the emperor took that away from him. And that's why he hates him so much. And And then he's forced to he. And when he also learned about how the emperor stole power from the gods to become the most powerful psyker, he was like, hypocrite. You're like the worst sorcerer in the world and oh and you're my dad Ugh, cringe and like <laughs> oh, are, my dad is yeah. Oh, yeah like Korax is a liberator he he he's what Mortarion wishes he was like Korax liberated his home world on his own he did it and everyone loves him and he's like hot topic cool whereas Mortarion is just like cringe and that's that's kind of <laughs> Mortarion the, is is he's cringe to he's, himself he's a big cringy moth you know Ugh, look at those wings in later though I can't wait to talk about him uh, but I think, unless there's anything else anyone wants to add, that is the the Pale King, Lord of thing. Death. Eli has to say something about the the Morty Morty boy, <laughs> smelly moth boy. I don't have a lot of opinions about him, honestly. I uh, he was never my favorite. He was never my least favorite. He just kind of exists for me. He's very milk toast, yeah. isn't he? Probably smells like an unwashed taint. <laughs> well, there's, there's that bit where he he fully transforms and he goes onto Horus's flagship, and only Abaddon, Tormageddon, and Horus aren't like throwing up in his presence. It's like, Torgaddon is unfortunately R.I.P. Torgaddon. Oh, oh, we love him. Bad, I did like Have him. You heard the one about the bear? <laughs> oh man. But yeah, sorry, Death Guard Bros. Wait, your Primark's not so bad. It's okay. It's okay, boy. We'll we'll, we'll hold. We'll look at you from a distance. He's a, <laughs> he's a solid there out of ten. Mortarion's yeah. not even everyone's favorite death guard. Come on, this <laughs> <laughs> is just way cooler. Uh, yeah. It is true, unfortunately. <laughs> Man got cucked by Typhus. <laughs> and don't yeah. forget Garrow. Yeah, and Garrow, oh, yeah, big time. He is yeah, in the death guard, isn't he? Good death guard. Always forget because um, he doesn't smell. <laughs> And he's Terran, so he hated him. Um, but yeah, so with with Smelly Mothman done, uh, Colin, would you like to talk about our next Primarch? I'd be happy to. You flaming idiots! 
Take this! Feel the power of my magic! Now we're on to Magnus the Red. He did many things wrong, but we'll get to that. He, uh, he landed on a planet called Prospero, which was a planet largely composed of psychers who were refugees uh, from other planets due to persecution during the Age of Strife. Uh, Prospero's was kind of a hub for them to flee to. And the planet was filled with creatures known as, and please do forgive me a moment, this is going to be hard to pronounce. Oh, I know exactly what's coming, yeah. Psych Nguyen? Psych Nguyen? This is the same problem I had in Nguyen, I believe. Psych Nguyen, yeah. In the audiobook, Psych Nguyen. Psych Nguyen. Psych Nguyen. Impossible to pronounce right. Now I'm thinking of that Family Guy bit where Stewie goes, Cool Whip. Cool Whip. This evening is ruined. <laughs> oh, but uh, those. The, it's the, not Leviosa. It's Leviosa. <laughs> I have to do it. It's not Leviosa. It's Leviosa. Leviosa. <laughs> what? I, like however the hell you say these things, they were psychic creatures that pl- preyed on the planet's inhabitants. And once Magnus got there, he proceeded to just start pushing them back because Magnus's purpose is to be the best wizard that ever wizarded on the planet. At the in the way is Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering. He is the wizard of the coast. <laughs> and uh, he was taught by a... I guess sorcerer... Sorcerer is probably a good word for him. A sorcerer named Amon, who mm. indeed would become to be one of his uh, chief officers in his legion once we got there but and in just a few short years because he was you know created by god to be the best psyker ever he had surpassed amon and had become the chief psyker on uh, prospero and with his help they pushed back the psych new winds and, oh, they got it the first time yeah hey. I figured it out that hey. time and he pretty much became the planetary leader by popular demand everyone's just like yeah this guy's awesome and he turned the planet and its capital city of Tisca into just a absolutely perfect shining jewel of what humanity could be as it was evolving to be more and more psychic. He would write down everything he knew about the Great Ocean, which is what they called the Warp on Prospero, into his works. And even to this day, I say this day, in modern 40K, 10,000 years later, that's where a very large amount of the information that mankind has on the warp comes from is from Magnus's teachings. And that's just the fragments of whatever they could rescue from Prospero after the space wolves space wolfed all over the place. (laughs) Uh, Two two major things of note. He contacted both Zinch and the emperor Uh, for the emperor. You know, when Magnus was still on Prospero, he would just delve into the warp and it did not take long for the emperor to notice and find out. I think I know who that is. And sure enough, they psychically contacted well before they actually met. <laughs> Don't know why. It's just like imagining like the warp based dial up. Like, who's <laughs> trying to send me messages? What is this? Who That's is my this? kid. Is Don't that the... I didn't know he had a phone, like a warp version of that. <laughs> is this a psychic version of docking? <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Oh man! Well, they Magnus is the only one who a law crime. You get to edit Magnus, this. You get to figure out what the visuals for that one are. He's <laughs> the, the only one who actually remembered that the emperor existed before he left uh, Terra, or was 
whisked away, wasn't he? He's the only one who actually remembered like he was not, f- or and they all had an inkling that they were probably not native. Some of them had cheat codes. Some of them had visions, like yeah. Sanguinius and Conrad and Lorgar. They had visions. That's that's cheating, though. Magnus, Magnus, Magnus was like, "Hey, what's up, pops?" Yeah, he spoke to the emperor whilst he was in the gestation capsule. Indeed. Mentally. And uh, while that was going on, you know, they talked in Great Lakes about the warp and the Emperor told them that, yes, you know, you can do a lot of cool things with space magic, but you got to be you got to be careful with it. There's some nasties out there that you don't want to mess with. And Magnus took this information and proceeded to almost completely ignore it. (laughs) I I just had the idea of like, like the Emperor being at like a police station with like a missing child report and then all of a sudden he gets a call from Magnus like Mag- Magnus where are you? He's, I've got him on the phone where are you? Hmm? Yeah you found some matches what are you going to do with those mate? No put them down put them down I come think, on where is he? Just like that trying to like track him down with yeah. like the phone line thing I like what's even funnier about that is the Emperor didn't name them they got their names on the planet so he's just like, oh, Ma- what's, hang on, what, I forgot my kid's name, Magnus. Number, number 15, no, where are you? Number 15. And as for Zinch, you know, once they met up with, uh, you know, the emperor, Magnus was like, hey, I, I, I see this flesh change my legion is going into through where all of my space marine children turn into soup. Let me fix this, please, <laughs> please, Emperor. Let me fix this problem. And eventually, Emperor's like, "Yeah, all right, sure. You know what? You're, you're. I trust you. You're a powerful enough wizard. Go for it." Uh, Magnus delved into the warp to change, uh, change the flesh, change how to figure out how to get rid of it. And what he believed he did was he just consorted with a you know particularly noteworthy warp spirit, but nothing special beyond that. So some friendly being, <laughs> yeah. in the warp. Yeah, what and, could go uh, wrong? Uh, it was actually Zinch, the chaos god of trickery and magic and all that fun stuff. And Magnus believed all he did was give up his uh, his eye, in exchange his left eye, I believe it was, uh, in exchange yep. for curing the flesh change. Really, Zinch just turned it off for a bit is more or less what happened. He just hit the off switch on flesh change. Just toggled it off for now. Yeah, he, yeah, he on, t- a time, on an egg timer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, a 200-year timer, as it were. And uh, yeah, but Magnus, as far as he was concerned, he did great. He, he lost an eye. Oh, no, big shame. He's got a whole nother one of those. And he's still a great wizard. So who even needs that second eye? Terrible uh, depth perception, but a great wizard. <laughs> indeed. But uh, unbeknownst to magic, or ma- unbeknownst to magic, unbeknownst to Magnus, he had fallen for Zinch's plot hook, line, and sinker, and this would grow his arrogance, which would eventually lead to his downfall. And one last really important thing to know about Magnus before we move on, he's red. I don't know why he's red. I'm just assuming it's because he's uh, uh, magic is my guess. He so was. Oh, go ahead, Sir Andy. I was just say it just reminds me of that Scrubs episode where it's just like this guy's orange because he's drinking too much tomato oh, yeah. soup or something. It's just like he's turned or no, it's carrot juice. It's like yeah, <laughs> Agnes just drank so much carrot juice. He was meant to be like red, and or they thought if he ate too much carrot, he'd be yellow. And if he had <laughs> red, and they couldn't work out why he was orange, it was because he only ate or drank uh, <laughs> carrots. carrots and peppers. Mm. Uh, I say, Hal, I know you've had your video on Magnus relatively oh, recently. Why is he God, red? Yeah. He 
there's no actual reason why he's red, but right. he also doesn't appear red to everyone. It's because when his magic is flowing, he actually appears more like a copper kind of tone. But most people, when they look upon him, you like we look upon him and see red, but most people you probably like, I'm actually going to like, my brain will melt if I actually look even in his eyes or something. So I think it's also one sunburn. There's also like, I bet implied, I can handle it. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> but it's also implied that he somewhat alters his appearance to like, he's supposedly as tall as Vulcan, the, the as big as Vulcan is, but he supposedly enhances how he, like yeah. his, even before he became chaotic and his material form was basically whatever he looked like he had I know he had at least some ability to alter his appearance and look however he wanted and also oh, grow yeah. 50 feet tall and punch titans to death if he so felt the need he, yeah, he could pretty much something. <laughs> he could pretty much do there yeah, wasn't I, much there wasn't much he could really not do he's quite yeah. he does a primal power level like 1v1, the other Primarch has to have some serious, like, spoilers, obviously, with Lehman Russ. He, when they fought, the only reason it ended up with Magnus losing was because Russ was wearing special anti psychic gear that negated his, um, like, abilities. But most of the time, Magnus just easy claps and, and was surrounded by Sisters of Silence. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty powerful. Also, Magnus's big thing is. As knowledgeable and as impressive as he is, he is so arrogant. He yeah. thinks he's he, he he usually when you learn more about the world, you realize, oh, there's so much I don't know now because your uh ideas and your uh let's say your capacity to understand is so much larger that you realize there's so much more you don't understand. Whereas Magnus the opposite. The opposite because he thought he knew so much, he thought he was infallible. I think my favorite quote or someone like, like understanding like his problem is when it says, it's, it's in his demon primate form with Vulcan, and he's he says, um, you know, what's Vulcan's like? What's wrong with you? And then he shouts back at them. The Emperor and Horus both know I'm the most valuable piece on the board. He actually thinks all of this was structured to get him because he mm. thinks he thinks way too highly of himself. He's the kind of guy who learns something and they'll just say, oh, there's such and such and such. Oh. Didn't you know that? He's that kind of guy. He's like, oh, I'm yeah. so clever. Look at me. I'm so smart. Oh, you didn't know what I know? Huh. You could, you, Peasant. Peasant. You, you, could, you could show him a list of 110% factual reasons why he is wrong about something. And he'd go, no, I know right. I know better. I'm <laughs> Fake news. Because <laughs> he was actually, you know, he's actually a pretty nice guy, at least as far as the Primarchs go, but just so arrogant. Yeah, his his biggest second weakness was that he loved his uh, his. Uh, sons he loved his legion too much to actually betray them to the emperor in yeah. the end that's the very whole, sad yeah he didn't want prosper well i mean he did and then he didn't want them to die quite quite the uh emotional the change of yeah. heart there but poor, that's a uh, story for him poor poor, poor guy yeah. that stuff even, will, oh what's up andy i was just gonna say it's even more tragic considering no one cares about the thousand sons in the law <sighs> Oh, I hate that. <laughs> that was a Suns player. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to rile up how to be honest. <laughs> well, hey, at least it's not me this time. <laughs> you got you, you got the elder out of the way with Angron earlier. <laughs> We're I, allied I, in this I, one. I, it's fine. <laughs> I had my lumps. Uh, but yeah, so 
aside from all that, he took command of the Thousand Sons and went about conquering, uh, oftentimes using diplomacy. He was one of the Primarchs who would use that. But when it was time to fight, he would just wizard everyone to death. And that is, you know, the intro primer to Magnus the Red. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't, ha- I don't have any stupid, funny ways to say about the next Primarch. Uh, <laughs> no Mort- Morty for this guy. <laughs> you mean, uh, you mean dog, dog man? You mean the big dog? Oh man! Yeah, big, <laughs> big dog daddy H. Big dog, big dog daddy. Let's do uh, it. Up to you, Andy. Take it away. He's losing the power of rational thought. With the use of his arms. He's, He's become, become a teenager. Uh, Horus is, is an interesting one to talk about because we're only talking up basically until the Horus heresy. And Horus is weird because there's like all of his characters in the Horus heresy. So this is actually probably going to be a bit shorter than the others. Um, but Horus was spirited to the world of Cophonia. And Cophonia was right next to Holy Terror. And as such... Horus was the, quote, first Primarch to be found by the Emperor. Um, We will undermine that when we get to our last Primarch today. But um, Horus basically lived on a crime world. And it wasn't like Nostromo, where everyone was eating each other for sustenance. It was more like the Godfather. And very, very, very little is actually known about Horus's time on Cophonia. All we know is that there was a gang culture, there was a crime... family syndicate and horus eventually became the crime boss like think michael corleone from the godfather that's basically horus in power armor um or michael corleone in power armor which is a weird image um but as the quote first primarch to be discovered by the emperor he had the most experience dealing with the great crusade he was the first person to be mentored by the emperor he was the first person to mentor other primarchs um he was gifted with incredible charisma and the Imperium loved him. He was the poster boy of the Imperium. Horus Lupercal could do no wrong. Everyone loved him. Every legion that followed would aspire to be like him and like his legion, the Lunar Wolves. And uh, he would easily, other like the only contenders for the most glory and plaudits during the Great Crusade is the Ultramarines, which we all know, Ultramarines, the greatest of them all. Um, we are here. Proud and strong. <laughs> if you haven't liked the Storm, String Storm song about the Ultramarines, please do. It is, <laughs> it is funny. I mean, that's my yeah. ringtone. Just that little clip there. <laughs> um, but yeah, during uh, the Great Crusade, Horus uh, achieved the title of War Master, and he, he did this during the big campaign against the Orcs because the Orcs were burgeoning to a point where they were the biggest threat in the galaxy. The Imperium had to band together every Primarch with every legion that they had, put their Great Crusade on hold and kill the Orc Menace before it became overwhelming. And during the final penultimate, the final battle, not penultimate, the ultimate battle to decide what would happen against the Orc Xenos, uh, the Emperor and Horus led the Custodians and the Lunar Wolves into battle against the war boss of, um, of the Orcs, to which the, the, war ba- the, the war boss would almost... Well, it's, it's, it's said he had a chance to kill the Emperor. I don't necessarily believe that. I think he just got one up. He got an advantage. And whatever blow he would have dealt to the Emperor, Horus prevented it. He killed the war boss. I believe he chucked him off the ramparts of the, the, the building they were fighting in, or the Titan, or whatever it was. And he became the first among equals. He became the War Master of the Imperium. To honour his ascension as the War Master... The Lunar Wolves would be rebranded as the Sons of Horus. They would uh, change their color scheme, their armor colors, 
and they were untouchable. They were the best of the best. Everyone wanted to be like Horus and his legion. And as the person the Emperor trusted the most, he would be privy to some of the secrets of the Emperor, one of which was Horus knew that there were, quote, entities in the warp prior to his fall uh, and corruption to chaos, but he naively just said, oh, they're just weird phenomena. They're not real creatures. They're not beings as such. They're not... They don't have cognition. They're just like apparitions. They're like ghosts. They're just weird things that live in the warp. Um, but as is documented in the first two Horus Heresy books, which are very good and worth, a, uh, I believe it's Horus Rising and Galaxy in Flames or the other way around. Is yep, it Galaxy in Flames is the first one? Oh, False Gods. Yeah. Oh, it's False Gods. It's False Gods then. Horus Rising, Gal False Har Gods, Galaxy in Flames. Yeah. yeah Horus Rising. It's been so long since I've read. I've, I'm on like big book. Bick. I'm on book 50 now, so that's so far away now. Uh, I literally have three to go. Heresy. I have nearly Horus all over my heresy. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> yelling. So I was there the day Horus shed himself. <laughs> <laughs> that comment is hilarious. People are so funny, man. People are so funny. Yeah, we're bringing it out of them. Like they're so much more funny than we are. Um, yeah, and Horus uh, during one campaign against the uh, he found this species. Uh, was it the uh, the ki the Kinebrack? Kinebrack, uh, yeah. or Brack, something like that. They're like a, a, a splinter of humanity, aren't they? They're like a weird civilization where they're like who the who are these guys that have pretty advanced technology they don't want to really join the imperium they're doing their own thing it was it was oh, the, that's weird the, uh, the inner rex and it was humans and the direct yeah kinebrek kind them the them the, kin the kinebrek are the uh aliens that are like with them aren't they weren't they like yeah eight, it's like a coalition eight people they are mm. they were they were i think they they meet them don't they like they appear on the ship and then i mean yeah, they go above the ship Abaddon's like growling, calling like, "Oh, let me at him!" Oh, I'll bring mm. out. I imagine by Abaddon sounds like Richard Nixon in my head. Like, <laughs> "All right, I gotta get him." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna break down the walls of Cadia. Um, but no, uh, but when they do, you did mention when they actually go on the ship. Um, when they're on the ship, everyone's favorite character, word bearer's chaplain Erebus, sneaks yeah, yeah, yeah. onto the uh, the ship. He steals a weapon from their armory, known as the uh, the anathame. Uh, Kinebrach anathame. Yeah, the ana anathame, anathema sword, anathame. And he steals it, and he gives it to this planetary governor called Eugen Temba on the, the moon of Davin, I believe it is. And long story short, the sword uh, is infused with the powers of the plague god Nurgle, and it corrupts planetary governor until he became he, he became like a bloated demon infused being that was really really like like chonk he was chonk but he was also really fast and powerful and the lunar wolves uh sorry sons of horus at this point had now uh, been inculcated in like the 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 uh the species they were parlaying with was like um guys like this really important sword is missing from our armory know anything about that and they were like um no no actually um we, we we didn't steal anything um and they didn't it was all erebus's fault and eli's favorite character is erebus 100 percent. no no it's not no it's not <laughs> yeah i'm just saying <laughs> erebus on say that. eli, that's rude oh my gosh is that is that possibly the one of the worst things you can accuse someone of doing is having a favorite <laughs> erebus liking erebus have you seen oh. those memes recently where it's like 
book recommendations and film My recommendations Arab. from the Arabs. <laughs> yeah, they're so stupid. <laughs> I love them. Um, but yeah, so basically they start fighting the, the Sons of Horus. War breaks out. We're not going to make an alliance with these weird human Xenos you know, people in, in space that we've met. And so they start slaughtering them. Um, then eventually Horus confronts Eugen Temba when he's like, uh, the world's not doing very well. What have you been up to? And he was good mates with this guy. But uh, he's now corrupted completely by Nurgle. And they get into a fight. Uh, Eugen's demonically possessed body uh, manages to stab Horus, I think, in the like the shoulder with the, the, the Anaphane sword. And the wound doesn't heal. And Horus gets pretty much comatose and no one in the sons of horus knows what's going on garvey or loken or the mournaval or abaddon so for some reason abaddon and a lot of the mournaval thought it would be a good idea to take him to these crazy you know people on the moon of davin uh that seem to worship weird pagan gods of unknown origin and uh they were desperate to be fair because obviously horus is like their dad and yeah Mental. And everyone in the Imperium loves him. It's like, we can't be like, oh, sorry, dad's gone. Well, no, the most cherished son of the Emperor, the incorruptible, brilliant wunderkind. No, we can't have that. Um, they take him to these, these, uh, I don't, they're not druids, they're like, um, uh, priests, <laughs> tribe, tribe, tribal priests, or whatever you'd call people who follow chaos, whatever. And they put them on this altar and they corrupt. Horus Lupercal, and he becomes the war master of the traitors, the the great leader of the traitors. Um, the way they Magnus get does try to stop him, good. I believe, in his like fugue state, where he's in like a, I think he's like lost in like a weird dreamy warp scenario, and Magnus goes, "Oh, what's what's going on here, Horus? Are you right?" And doesn't manage to stop him being corrupted. But uh, yeah, most of his character is revealed in the Horus Heresy. He's kind of left somewhat vague before then, but anything you guys want to add other than... He, also, the reason bad. the reason they get to him as well is because Horus is, as much as we've all just, like, uh, slurped his metaphorical you-know-what, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he has a serious issue, which is he's kind of like Magnus who has a problem with pride, like, an ambition, in a way. Like, Horus is... Uh, he's so char- like when they all meet him by the way all the primarchs they always think of him like the kind of older brother even though they're all like yeah, the same he's age. the unifying factor they all like him most i think pretty much other than maybe one or two there is indeed not one everyone gets on with him one coming up who is not the biggest fan of horus yeah, yeah like yeah. most of them all like it's very most of them are all very different but horus is the only one who basically gets along with all of them. Although I don't know if he actually liked all of them, but he was just able to be that kind of charming person. Like when they say, like obviously Horus is when you look fair, when you look at an image of Horus, you don't think oh, that's not the most charming, charismatic guy. Mm. But supposedly, like when you like walk in a room with him, and the way he would like speak to you, be like, oh my, like wow, it's one of those things where it's like that phrase in it, like someone who walks in who like lights up a room. That's kind of what Horus is, where. He would like, he's friendly. He, you know, if you're in the army, he'd actually treat you like, you know, you were already best mates and comrades for years. And he knew how to get to the heart of people, you know, how to speak to people in different ways. 
If, so, if you know, Horus had a podcast in the 40k universe, he would be the Joe Rogan experience, basically. <laughs> so I'll just bring anyone on, I'll chat to them, I'll get a rapport. We're both bald, it's fine. <laughs> I think that's what it's like Pedro Pascal of the... Uh, <laughs> but with no hair. <laughs> he is, unfortunately, uh, there's a theme of baldness and evil in Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, he was I mean, destined. We did mention, like I mentioned earlier, like Mortarian... The only person he got on was with Horus because he gave him a chance. Um, Jagatai liked him because he he had that warrior creed, and you know he he got on like everyone got on more or less with Horus because doesn't like Gilliman respected his martial prowess. Sanguinius he was also possibly going to be the war master, and they were best mates. Uh, Ferris respected him because he had superiority and rank, and his legion had lots of plaudits. Like everyone liked Horus for the most part, and. It's a bit of a shame, but it, it had to be the most liked. Like, if, if Gilliman fell to chaos with like the the um, what's it called the Rebutian heresy, it's like it's interesting. But Horus has that extra, like it, it's more tragic if it's the most cherished son of the emperor. That's the one who ends up being the villain of the series. And also, the reason they corrupted him from Chaos's perspective was that he was the one who could corrupt the most other Primarchs as mm. well. Yes, yeah, he's the no one else. No one else amongst them had a like. If the lion, God, you know, probably would never. But if the lion, is HR department would be rubbish. <laughs> like no, no one would join the lion if the lion was like, let's start a heresy. And he's like, he's like the kid who invites people to the birthday party and no one shows up. <laughs> yeah, he, he, and and again, when he draws all the traitors into his band, he's like, Angron, I understand. You had a really bad time with the Emperor. It's okay. I'll, I'll I'll sort it out. Mortarion. Yeah, I know. The Emperor's rubbish. It's okay. I'll sort it out. Fulgrim. That's a pretty cool sword you got there. We've always been mates. Yeah? You gonna join the heresy? Yeah, cool. Lorgar. I hear you like books. Guess what? Magnus likes books. We'll all have a book club together. He just, he convinced the Primarchs that joined the cause, not through, you know, not through might, he just he convinced them through his charisma, and also like even with Perturabo, it's implied that he might have um, orchestrated the seed of um, the the uh, the Olympians, you know, rebelling against the Iron Warriors as like an extra incentive for Perturabo to be like. It's, it's I don't think it's confirmed, but it's implied that he might have been influencing that. So when Perturabo was like, oh. Uh, maybe I'll join the, but I, but the emperor. But it's like, no, we need to push him over the edge. I'll orchestrate that behind the scenes. I don't know if it's necessarily a hundred percent true, but it's implied. And and again, he's great at, he's he's a genius when it comes to planning and battle and manipulation and that and the charisma. It's very difficult to to, to stand against him. But yet, also, his downside is his monstrous pride and the fact that most. Most people don't like to be on a stage. Horace likes being on a stage. Horace mm. likes, there's often, he had trouble with some Primarchs where they kind of knew he was going to be like, they do a campaign and they knew he would be the one to like, I'm going to be the one to go and kill the leader at the end. Because he, mm. he kind of knew how that would, yeah, he definitely had a problem with, he wanted to be seen as glorious and, you know, you know, what's the, I always love the one where, He's obviously called Horace Lupercal as like his nickname, but he loved it when people like whispered like Lupercal, Lupercal. Like they would always whisper, and he kind of say, mm. like, "Oh, I'll oh, oh, stop, boys. Oh, don't you know? Like, oh, you know." And he's like, "Yeah, actually, please keep, please keep going." Like, he just, <laughs> he, yeah, big, big problems with pride. That that bald man. <laughs> uh, two thing. I think I wanted two things about Horace real quick. Uh, one. 
I've, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I was reading online and he, I heard that he was before the whole thing with the Interrex and that he was rather idealistic because when he first met them, he was almost ecstatic because mm. oh, yeah, a chance yeah. where he was like this humans and Xenos cooperating and they're living in harmony and their tech is good and it seems to be working out really well with them. And even Sanguinius was like, eh, the Empress says maybe we should just kill him. And Horus was like, no, everyone shut up. I'm in charge. We're going to try and work this out. And I think, and again, like I said, Craig, if I'm wrong, I, I again admit he, I haven't read the book, but after the whole thing went down, he seemed almost like broken and distraught. It was like, this is, I had a chance to find a new way to do things than just conquest, and it blew up in my face. He was very jaded because yeah. he, the reason he was trying something is because it was, he was newly minted, the war master, newly minted, newly honored as the war master, and he, didn't want to wage war in the same way he had done before. He wanted to, you know, he, he was Horace Lupercal before, but Warmaster was lead of the Great Crusade. And so he wanted to, to be, he wanted to set example and not be so, it's very funny. He says in the book, like he's almost slightly ashamed at times of when he's, they've basically degraded into war so quickly. So he wanted to be better. And then the one attempt he tried to be better, it blew up in his face. And so he got, I mean, ever since basically after that happens and the rest of the heresy books, even before he gets corrupted, he's kind of quick tempered and like he's not as uh, like joyful. Like, or even like, even his own warriors notice says he's not. He's he's quick with them. He's not very um, as he was not as warm as before. It does make sense as well that like his character flaw is that he's always winning. He's always ex- succeeding. So the one time he fails, it hits him really hard, and he he doesn't get over it easily. He's like, I'm supposed to be the guy filling the shoes of the emperor. I'm supposed to be the war master. I'm I'm supposed to be the one who's the example. And so he has this massive burden. And every time he makes a mistake or fails, it crushes him. And he he is he has got a fragile ego yeah. in that regard. Oh my god, he's the he's the kid who did well in school, and then he gets to college, university. Does anyone else have that problem? With like, you see that with some people, like they have trouble in, or they have no trouble in school. They're like, oh, you just memorize it, and I'm fine. And then they get to college, university. Like, oh, I have to learn it and apply it. Oh, this is a different <laughs> ball game, and it just just gets like an F hard. in his graded test. And he's like, let the galaxy burn. <laughs> that's that's pretty much Horus. Horus is an entitled mm. brat. I'd uh, I'd also like to say. <laughs> Major skill issue on his part. Uh, he gets stabbed with the anathema and he goes, eh, my soul hurts. I'm dying. <laughs> Gilliman gets stabbed and he, and he punches Corferon into a heart attack. <laughs> Resounding. And he gets like killed with the, the pla- uh, what's it called? The, uh, the, the Plague Wars virus, the, uh, the God Blight. And then he's just like, oh, I'm dead. Got over it though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another common Rebute Gilliman W. Call an ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's him when he's jettisoned into space with the word. Right? Yeah. I'm like, is he dead? He's not wearing a helmet. Yeah, why didn't he Doesn't top, matter. by the way? How did his eyeballs not pop out of his head? Well, that one like, actually, <laughs> that's actually not something that happens. Uh, I think it's a you, myth. Yeah. Oh. It's, uh, I don't remember exactly what happens, but you like, it's not like to, like a space odyssey where you jettison into space and your eyeballs explode. Uh, I'm dead wrong. Then that's a law crime. That's, that's a that's a science crime. That's a, just a Isn't crime. Isn't it true though that like when if you're in space and say you're like facing the sun, the part of your your like skin that's not facing it's like so cold that you'd basically like the side that's not facing the sun freezes and you're like oh I'm dead anyway because you know 
So you have the to rotate a kebab. <laughs> <laughs> Slow roasted oh. Gilliman, what is this? <laughs> he had one hell of a tan line. <laughs> Just one side of his oh, face. Like, man. my lord, you look different. <laughs> Sheesh Gilliman. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was all I had. That's all I had to add. Oh, okay. That's all we had. <laughs> we just had to get the skill oh, issue in. Leaving that on Sheesh Killerman. Well, I guess on that uh, that tender note, I suppose I'll pass it on to Colin to talk about our next Primark. Lorgy. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Lorgy. Oh, <my> <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, that law guy. Lorgar Aurelian, though, yeah. He's uh, Jehovah's Witness, the Primarch. <laughs> oh, we're going there. He, uh, <laughs> the one fan from Utah is not happy. Yeah, the one Mormon follower we've got is not pleased with me. <laughs> he should not be watching this anyway, so <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> he, uh, he landed on the planet of Colchis, which was a highly religious world that followed more or less a watered-down version of chaos worship. Uh, mm. so it wasn't like, you know, it's like, yes, this is, you know, corn, Nurgle, Zinch, Slanesh, but it was like, I see where it's going and it's not great. Uh, yeah. But, it's like, have you heard of Cornan the Barbarian? Yeah. Uh, not a, not outright worship enough to, you know, get you tentacles and all gross corruption stuff, but you can see where it's leading. And his adopted father, Corferon, uh, the man who, as I said, in the future is getting punched into heart failure. Uh, was a former priest of the planet's religion. And Lorgar was initially, he followed this religion, but then, like Andy was saying earlier, he received visions of a golden god coming down to Colchis, leading an army of angels. And he became enraptured with this new belief of his and spread his beliefs across Colchis. And because he's a Primarch and they're very, very charismatic, he gathered a massive number of followers. Uh, his adoptive father, Corferon, wasn't the biggest fan of this, but more so than, you know, he followed his religion. He had some grudges against those who were still in charge uh, in the religion. And he was he was willing to hedge his bets a bit. Like, you know, you know maybe, maybe, maybe Lorgar's right. Maybe this is going somewhere. We'll see. And then Lorgar... Uh, the planet was launched into a six-year-long civil war, which Lorgar, after those six years, came out on top and spread his faith across the world. And yeah. sh shortly afterwards, well, you say, eh, he was kind of proven right. Is this the phrasing that got me? He's like, he spread his... Uh, he spread his faith. It's better. In one of my shorts, I started it off with the... Uh, it was like a mutant cult... And the start of the short, I said something like, they spread their mutant taint throughout the entire... Oh. I got a lot of comments. I got a lot of comments. <laughs> Eli's That's mutant an image. taint. <laughs> oh. Lorgar is proof that the Emperor is the freaking worst, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's uh, proven right, as who else but the Emperor of Mankind descends down to Colchis with an army of space marines in tow. And Magnus and the Magnus. Red. And Magni Magic was there, too. After a, a month-long celebration, he was given command of his legion, the Imperial Heralds, who he renamed the Word Bearers. Uh, the uh, religious symbolism is quite thick with this man. And he 
was the only Primarch who fully believed that the Emperor was a god, or well, even at all believed it. And the Emperor didn't even stop him for a while, right? No. Just like, when it happened? No, he, he just... He just Allowed this to happen. Soft. He was, oh he was just like, no, I'm not. Stop. I I, yeah. Stop. Stop. And yeah. then it just got worse. He basically just said, no, don't do that. And then drop the matter. And then 20 years later, hey, by the way, I'm still mm-hmm. not a god. Drop the matter for another 10 years. Not a god. He's like, oh, this this isn't a phase. Oh, no. Come <laughs> yeah. on, Lorgar. He was hoping it was a phase and then it wasn't. I think it's implied that because he found Lorgar, like the, the primarchs that are found later are kind of just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurry up, hurry up and go do the. Do the Great Crusade thing. So he kind of, it's like how he tolerated Angron being broken. <laughs> the Emperor was just like, psychotic. fly the nest already, get out of my house and do your own thing. <laughs> it, it pretty much is where, like, with Law Guys, it was, okay, I know you're wrong, but you if you do the Crusade thing, I'll address this thing later because I'm busy. If, if he was found earlier. And just going, it's getting worse. Come on, Law get on with it. The orcs are coming. It, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty tolerant unless it's like, as long as you are bringing worlds into compliance i don't care until he did care because he's yeah. too slow he's like your brother is is, is skinning people it's fine your other <laughs> guy he's he's using virus bombs it's okay it's not the ideal but he's getting You're the job done. the most loyal planets in the imperium oh i think that's a bit of an <laughs> issue it's uh, kind of cringe <laughs> I, I just like, but imagine. it's not a real. It's a skill issue. He's he's, <laughs> sit, he's sitting like Lorgar. That orc is now a croak. You need to hurry your ass up. <laughs> <laughs> they added a K to the name. Let's go. Uh, but yeah, with the with the word bearers, he moved on and started taking planets back for the Imperium. And he, interestingly enough, for a uh, being designed to be a general, he did not like war. He was a uh, not not a fan. He much preferred to conquer, not conquer, he much preferred to get worlds into the Imperial fold through faith and diplomacy. Yeah. So he would, uh, his legion would set up shop and spread out, you know, their pamphlets. Have you heard the word of our God, the Emperor of Mankind? And they would slowly convert it to the Imperium through faith. They, you know, they would fight. They were space marines. They, it was time to fight. They could fight. But they much preferred doing it through faith and whatnot. And... That was part of the reason that the Emperor was not a big fan of Lorgar, because he was uh, not keeping up the pace. Because, to be fair, again to Lorgar, those worlds he landed on were brought up pretty well. Uh, maybe, if not up to the standards of, like, Gilliman and the Ultramarines. They, he, Lorgar didn't leave them in shambles. And he made sure they were fanatically loyal to the Imperium, because God was in charge of the Imperium. He also had a bit of a problem with like everything the word bearers did would be a there would be a flare of storytelling. They wouldn't just do a, a fight. They'd be like, we need it to be a spectacle. It's like, okay, when when we go up to a fortress, we're going to send one of our chaplains, and he's going to give them offers. And if it doesn't work, we're going to shower them with the angels from the sky and the behemoths from the land. And, and they would like make tales and fables about their victories. And it's like, can't you just get it done? Could you stop mm-hmm. faffing around, looking, making yourself look cool? Ugh. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I do have to say, I've kind of leaned towards e- Eli's side on this one. It's like you, uh, you have been given a fanatically loyal planet who will never turn traitor. <laughs> well, that's not good enough. You need to give me ten planets that all hate me because I burned their cities to the ground. Thank <laughs> you, Biggie. Very cool. Uh, and but yeah, that's a uh, a rough uh, primer on Lorgar Aurelian. Anything to add, anyone? He is my favorite by far. Yeah, I like I'd say. 
Oh, me, me and Eli are the um, you know the meme of like the two the Arnie and the other guy. They have like, <laughs> it's like like liking Logar from from, Pre- from Predator. I saw that movie. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> he saw a movie. Everyone, you did it. Eli, Eli, go first. Why do you like Logar? Because he's right. To the piracy. I uh, I like Logar because. Because I hate him so much. Does that make sense? I think I said this before, like a couple of times to you guys. Because, uh, like Logar himself, he's so humanly evil. Do you guys know what I mean? Kind of. He's also just like, as a villain, he's not like Angron or Padrabo, where he's this mighty, indomitable foe. He's just that conniving, schemy little. Hey. Kill him and call me names, kind of. It's like, shut up, Norgar. Kill him and call me names and burn down my home. My book's better than his book. It's like, oh, shut up, (laughs) Norgar. Yeah, Yeah, good times. No, I I like him because he's not, by it, Word Bearers are not my favorite Legion. Um, But because uh, annoyingly, like, after Argul Tal's gone, it's like, oh, who do we have left who's actually likable? Um, No one. No one. But Norgar is so. Logar's problem, like a lot of these, a lot of the traitor ones have a, a a general character flaw, as in something that was exploited by Horus or by the gods. Logar's thing is that he has a selfish desire to be proven right about just general fundamental view of the universe that he is willing to burn all of humanity to the ground just so he was right. And it's someone that seems to go, oh, that's what makes him terrifying. Like, Lorgar, like, a lot of the other traitors, they'll basically destroy you, but Lorgar doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to sacrifice you to... to bring you to his side. Yeah, he makes my... Like, it's one of the things where when I read, like, some of his books as well, it's, it's, he's the only Primark that made my skin crawl, just generally because it's like... Oh, he's the Primarch who's the ugliest on the inside by far, because he is—he's like the crazy fanatic who's like, "Yeah, I will I'll absolutely massacre everyone," and, and it was wonderful. Like he'll say that, and he'll actually believe it. We're like Conrad Kurz knows he's a monster and he's sad about it. Boohoo, Conrad Kurz. But Lorgar is generally like, and like Horus is mad, and Mortarian's a hypocrite. Magnus is too arrogant to see it, but. Logar genuinely believes through his zealotry that he is doing the right thing. And that's generally terrifying about him. He's also, especially in the early days, quite naive. And I always think of Logar oh, yeah. as like a child given demigod powers. Like he, he doesn't he doesn't have like a perspective beyond the zealotry of his upbringing. And so he he can't really I find as a character he doesn't process things very well. And that's not saying much considering the Warhammer cast of the Rogues Gallery of the Traitors. But yeah, yeah, even so, I I always find Lorgar to be that kind of like a little brother of the Primarchs. Well, none of the Primarchs really respect him. He's the runt of the litter and he's the one in the background who's like, oh, my brother loves him because he's stronger and more handsome than me. I'll show them. I'll show them. And that's Lorgar. He doesn't have good qualities either in in the sense that there's nothing. He's not redeemed by anything as well. well like, I, I know. I know a lot of people in the book say he's very kind and generous with his time, and he's very patient with the mortals and stuff. But it's like, 
is that a veneer or is that genuine kindness or oh, is that just, again naivety like when people yeah. wait there's also a thing about Lorgar he's emperor like in the sense that when you're in the presence of Lorgar more than any other Primarch you feel the need to bend the knee and worship him like his Primarch aura is said to be the strongest and he supposedly looks like the emperor obviously the emperor's got hair because you know Baldur's to, he'll, yeah <laughs> he's uh, the emperor of alopecia <laughs> yeah. pretty much Lorgar's got face tattoos I forgot to add that incredibly oh, yeah. important detail they kind of call those ones though, the little gold they, they uh, are they are pretty sick yeah he he generally um like in his presence <laughs> you want to worship him you, people love him but he kind of he knows this is a thing and he's he's a bit smug about it he's like yes i know people love me uh -huh. to, to be fair to him didn't What's up, Andy? I was just gonna. A bit, sorry, just a silly thought. Like the emperor, just see when he meets Lorgar and he sees all the tattoos on his face. He's like, "You're gonna regret those when you're older." <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Dad. You don't know me. Oh. <laughs> uh, generally, my favorite. Uh, I'll finish on that. Just you know, generally makes my uh, like his insides make my skin crawl. His <laughs> belief system, like oh my god, like, actually evil. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Lehman write some of the stuff he or read some of the stuff he wrote down and was like, yeah, he, he quite pretty... liked it. Yeah, he so, confronts so you... Angron with um, some of his writings, and Angron's like, "Ah, oh, scholarly brother, he's rubbish, he's weak." Uh, and Lehman's like, "There's wisdom in here. Like, he knows ways. He's, he's a weakling. Yeah, I agree, but he has got a few good so, points." At the very least, Lehman liked him. So, yeah, I so, say you no. Know, Lehman was surprisingly he, enough. He stopped. Um, he stopped Magnus and Lehman from attacking each other before the mm. before the fall of Prospero. He actually was the one who was able to. He stood in the middle of the Thousand Suns and Space Wolves and said, "Stop fighting each other. We're friends." And he managed it. That's how much his. That's mm -hmm. how he was. He's obviously not not Horus levels charismatic, but that's how much he was able to. And to be fair to Lorgar, when Angron's recounting the Night of the Wolf, where Demon Russ and him clashed in the Space Wolves and such fought the uh, the World Eaters, Lorgar he's like telling, "Oh, I was the victor and I was right," and blah blah. And Lorgar was actually going. No, you didn't listen to Lehman. Lehman, is that, Lehman was absolutely right. Oh, you you monster! What have you done? What have you done? And so there was that. I think I think with Lehman, it's like Lehman can't express his philosophical side because you know his legion is a bunch of drunk Vikings. But like, I guess he he pines for oh, I want to be taken more seriously by the emperor as like as a thinker, and he's like oh, Lorgar's championing that. Oh, okay, he's kind of doing that thing. I'd all, I'd like to do more, and he's you know he's got a good head on his shoulders until you know hell from grace yeah. but still the only downside yeah, i'll say is juice. when he becomes fully corrupted by chaos he kind of i enjoyed how weak and vulnerable and how much he is a runt and then when he's corrupted by chaos he's like he has that annoying thing where it's like oh i've done my super male grind set thing now so now i'm no now i'm a chat <laughs> yeah he's, he's, he's kind of he's no longer like the runt like he's obviously a psyker too so oh, he, he does that thing earlier in the heresy where he he briefly like stops Horus and he can like manipulates Horus when they're like first meeting on the the ventral spirit because of his like psychic prow prowess and influence. But then at the end of the heresy, he just gets backhanded by Horus when he tries to take the throne. And he's like, "Yeah, Gorgar, out! You're no he, longer in the club." He banishes psychic projection, Magnus. He also knocks out Fulgrim, but it's demon host mm. Fulgrim mm. just straight up claps him down. But yeah, mm. he. He, I, I think he's the most compelling in terms of right. He's probably one of the isn't, best written. Isn't there that quote as well from the Primarchs where it's like, me and my brothers used to think Lorgar was the weakest of all of us. After the heresy, we knew we were wrong. 
mm. something along those lines. Maybe that just feels like something he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> written Please. written by Orgar Lorelian. If the Emperor just let him be, then the heresy wouldn't have happened. Malkador uh, did say mm-hmm. out of all the Primarchs, mm-hmm. they wish they could have saved Lorgar. Yeah. If the Emperor just embraced it, the Lictito, whatever it's called, would have come to be, it would have, it would have probably come to be around anyway. Or if he stopped giving off every single appearance of being a god. Yeah. Like, yeah, but then, the, but you know what the fallout would have been? It's Pertorabo in the corner going, religion is cringe. It's cringe. Oh, it would have been just Pertorabo probably. <laughs> and then Pertorabo and heresy of him. And just just of him and everyone. cringe. Him and like curse, and that's yeah, it. Him curse, <laughs> and then there's 16 other people kicking them to death. Jeez. Oh, yeah. but, it's uh, like, hey, I'm, here's these visions of me uh, coming down from heaven with my angels, and then it's, and I'm also going to make cyclops. sure it comes true. Uh, but sorry, I was just troll. It happened again. <laughs> Eli, we lost Eli there. Eli. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he was just that troll. was the emperor silencing. That was the emperor saying. Uh, then no. I, I cut out. I cut out again. Yeah, he said. Oh yeah, he gosh, said. He, I was, was just troll. troll. Oh my god! It was <laughs> emperor is troll. Emperor troll yeah. Lorgar is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, with Lorgar done, Andy, would you like to tell us who lives? We've got a lot of work to do. Oh yes, please. Um, Vulcan lives. Stop, stop, so, stop, um, stop. This is a very, this is a very traitor-heavy episode because again, the split is you get six, tra- six loyalists and three traitors in the first ten, and then the reverse in this one. So this is the only one I get to speak of. But although a lot of people would say he's not necessarily their favorite Primarch, everyone likes this guy. Uh, Vulcan is the Primarch of the Eighteenth Legion. He would be raised and he was be he would be spirited away to a planet called Nocturne, and Nocturne was a volcanic. You know, very uh, kind of. It's, it's, I think it's a death world technically. Uh, yeah. But there yeah. is, there is, you know, like there is a society. The, so, the society is full of hardworking, nice people. There's no famines. There's no wars. Blah blah. blah. But there is a there is a Drukari problem, which I'll mention a bit later. <laughs> An infestation, if you yeah, will. Yeah, a little little bit. I do of have a, to ask, though, Colin. Do you you get upset when Eldari get clapped? But does it upset you when Drukari get clapped? I mean, they kind of deserve it. Also, the thing with the Dark Elder is they usually get at least some amount of credit in return. Like, uh, speaking of later, when the Salamanders invade Kamara and wipe out the old noble families of the old Eldar Empire that are left. That was on purpose by Vect. So, like, when the Dark Elder are losing, they either give as good as they get, or they're losing because a different Dark Eldar planned the whole thing. You compare that with the regular Eldar, which is, oh, Games Workshop needs someone to punch the death. Hey, Avatar Kane, how you doing? Oh, Although Kane. in Warhammer TV shows, the Drukari get clapped by everyone. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. So I was even thinking about with the uh, that Iron Within short. I'm like, oh, hey, mm. look, oh, good. They, uh, <laughs> they should be moving faster than the Guardsmen can perceive, but I guess not. Anyway. Oh, rat, rat Usually not as angry when Drukari lose. It's changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so so Vulcan grew up on this planet called Nocturne. Again, one of the few Primarchs who had a good father figure. He was raised by a, quote, black smiter called Nobel, which is basically a blacksmith on Nocturne. Um, so he learned how to craft and artifice several contraptions and, and armor and weapons. And innate in his being was this ability to craft wondrous things. You know, Padrabo is a craftsman. He has blueprints in his mind. He knows what he's going to make. Vulcan's the opposite because he doesn't know what he's going to make. He goes into like these weird like trances where he just builds something. He's like, oh, I guess I made this terrifying weapon. Um, but in his early years, he learned under his father and know he 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 learned to create things with his hands and he was you know a credit to his people and he grew up with great values and he he learned from the quote promethean creed which is what the nocturnians use as like a, a guide for both spiritual and social well-being however uh the the lovely childhood of the the boy who would grow up on a volcano world would be interrupted with the intervention of the Drukari. And they had been raiding this planet for centuries. They'd been harassing the people. They took people as slaves and they, they'd kind of harvest and leave, kind of like the uh, the collectors from Mass Effect 2, but um, not as insecty. Um, however, this time... Uh, you know, Nobel is about to, you know, kind of go in his like air raid shelter and go like, right, we should, we should, we should hide. Vulcan says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. He picks up two hammers, not one, two. And he goes, and he's like, I'm going to fight them. And Nobel goes, I can't let you go out alone. So he goes with him. And all of a sudden, one of their, one of their friends, I can't remember his name. He's a, he's a well-respected blacksmith. He goes, you're going to, you're going to fight these guys. I stand with you. And then eventually the entire settlement stands with Vulcan and they beat the crap out of the Drukari. They destroy the Drukari because they didn't expect to 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 face the the, the biggest, bulkiest <laughs> Primarch there is, you know. Wasn't he wielding like two, two Warhammers? He was like two years yeah. old or something when they did this. But he's, I'm pretty sure he's already taller than all the guys there. Yeah, that's like, yeah, he's bigger than like these guys who make metal work for a living. Like, yeah, pretty strong. Um and they, they basically completely stop the the Dark Eldar from invading again. They just go, oh, it's not worth it anymore. And shortly thereafter, when the planet's burgeoning or the, or the, um, or the I, I don't know, it's, it's not, because Iron Hands have, have uh, well, they, they're not called tribes, they're called um, clans. clans. Is Nocturne clans or is it a different title that they have? I they think have seven... it's similar to, I think it is clans, but... Uh... They they don't go. It's not clan. Blah blah blah. It's something something clan. Yeah. Well, they, well, they got sev- They got like seven settlements, and mm-hmm. with the Drukari no longer raiding, they unite. They work together, and everyone's happy. And shortly thereafter, uh, a stranger. I think actually this might be the when he's called the Outlander. Whatever, a stranger <laughs> appears, and they're like, hey, and and something to to be worth noting. The Nocturnians have a uh, have a thing where they have these like glowing red eyes and jet black skin and all of a sudden there's like this white dude I'm like who's this guy where did he come from he's like oh he's just a stranger just visited our planet and they're like okay uh what's up with him and he's like oh i heard you're, you're having these revelries and you're having these you know these big trials these these games of endurance and strength to show off how cool you all are i want to put my hat in the ring and i want to try him out and so the the townsfolk go what you you know this scrawny guy's from some weird planet we don't know about what are you going to do he's like oh I'll, I'll challenge your biggest bulkiest strongest guy to any challenge so vulcan steps up and they they compete in these games and i'm not sure I, I if i remember correctly they kind of have an even split of wins between them like vulcan wins some 
stranger wins some and eventually they say we're going to sort this out with one final test where we're going to hunt the salamanders of the wilds and these salamanders are not just like little lizards they're like dragons they're huge and the stranger says we'll go out there we'll go to this mountaintop where there's these big ones that roam around come back in like 24 hours whoever's got the biggest salamander corpse wins and so Vulcan kills one it's pretty big and he goes hmm it's pretty good. I'll take I'll take this back. And then the the mountain he's on where there's a volcano erupts, and it fro- he's carrying this massive salamander, and he falls off this I think it's a bridge or, or a ravine or something, and he's like holding on by his fingertips, and his salamander falls into the lava pits below and disintegrates. I thought then he held on to it for ages. Oh no, he, he was... holds on to it with one hand, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he refuses like, to let go of it. Yeah, I can't let go of this because it's it's like my prize. And then the stranger finds him hanging off this edge and goes pretty big salamander that and the stranger's got this gargantuan one on his back like one arm over his shoulder like oh that's a pretty big salamander mine's bigger <laughs> mine's like, bigger and Zorgan's like so damn I've lost the competition but the but the, the almost spoiled it there the stranger goes nope I can't let you die and he just chucks away his salamander corpse and he goes I'll pull you up and Vulcan's like no I can't uh, bollocks so he, he lets go of the salamander so he can, you know, take take the stranger of a hand and be pulled up. And, you know, he's a big dude, and this guy's, oh, I'll just lift you up, no problem. I think he still has the corpse of the massive um, salamander. Orkin oh, no, keeps I, the salamander. Yeah, he doesn't drop it still. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, the, yeah, the Emperor casts in the fire to, to save Vulcan, doesn't he? And then... He, walk, he walks he, across it to... He sacrifices his own prize to make sure Vulcan... Yeah. So the Vulcan can live. And so they go back Vulcan to the lives. village and Vulcan's like, I've got this big salamander. The emperor, oh, the stranger didn't get one. And Vulcan's like, no, he, he did. It was, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it was this big. Uh, it was way bigger than mine. Um, so the stranger actually won. And the stranger revealed himself to be the emperor and said, you, you, you know, you're, you're pretty good at a lot of things, my son. Why don't you come with me on my rocket ship? I'll go back to Holy Terror and we'll show you some cool stuff. And, that sounded uh, really dodgy the way he said <laughs> <laughs> the, the emperor the arrived on Nocturne and said get in my van and, oh, uh, <laughs> that is no, like the it was, uh, was it from um, is it, oh, what's the car thing that flies uh, the child catcher guy he's like oh children bang bang yeah get come out to play <laughs> the emperor got out some lollipops and went come get your lollipop no he didn't um, that's an image yeah that is an image um, but yeah, then Vulcan would be installed as the, the, the leader of the 18th Primarch named the Salamanders after their great bout of, you know, endurance and tests on Nocturne. And Vulcan's a really nice guy. Like, everyone loves Vulcan. Uh, he's a master craftsman. He's the tallest Primarch. He's this big, friendly giant. And everyone in the 40k universe uh, community loves Vulcan. I don't, I don't, I've never met anyone who says, I don't like Vulcan, because he's just so likable. He's nice. He's good to his sons. He's good to the people and the citizenry. His, his, his legion is famously, famously very good at, you know, protecting the innocent and being good fellows. And he, 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 he you know, he's, he, he's not to the same standard of like Horus or Gilliman, where the Imperium respects him like they respect them. But they still go, oh, I, I think the thing is with like Nocturne, because of their like glowing red eyes. The Imperium's kind of like, oh, I don't know about this guy. He's kind of intimidating. But then they go, oh, they're big softies. They're big teddy bears. Oh, we love them when we get to know them. It's, it's um, like the difference between like, oh, my God, these are the great heroes of the Imperium. And then Vulcan's like, this is my best friend. I love this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And um, 
Fun fact about uh, Vulcan, he cannot die because he is a perpetual. So every time he gets killed, uh, I'm not sure when he first discovered this. Um, might have been Istvan. He Conrad gets. Curs. Oh, no, oh, it would have been. It would have been Istvan. Yeah. Istvan's like, oh, it's all going terribly. Bang. Oh, I'm dead. Hang on. I'm back. That's weird. And so, yeah, Vulcan's special ability is he, every time he dies, you could, you could, you could, you could drop him in a pit of lava. And at what point, at one point, he is put in a pit of lava and he comes out unscathed somehow. He just disintegrates. And then I guess the, 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 the carbon atoms of his body bubble up to the surface. And then outside of the, the pit of lava, they coalesce again into his body and mm-hmm. starts off as like a skeleton. Then the tissue grows. And then all of a sudden he's back to normal. Um, I think the, the worst one was when Siege of Terror, Magnus, Demon Magnus, destroys him on a, mole- on a molecular level mm. until he's just like a charcoal-like skeleton thing. Mm. And that starts to regenerate. That's one of those, oh, oh. <laughs> well, Kurz. Kurz puts him in like one of the engines of like the, the Nightfall, but like straps him to one of the engines at the back yeah. where like the exhaust is and just disintegrates him. And then he wakes up the next day and he's like, Vulcan's back. He's like, what do you mean Vulcan's back? We put him in the, and it's like, no, he's like, he's in, he's in, he's in the like mess room. What? And he, 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 you can't keep him down. You can't keep a good Vulcan down. And um, Vulcan lives, stomp, stomp. Vulcan lives. <laughs> Vulcan famously lives, stomp, stomp. And uh, basically, Vulcan was uh, he. He had he was so good at crafting stuff. He had like hundreds of amazing wonders of of artifice. And he famously saw, told his forge master to Kel, "I want you to only save. I think it's nine of these relics, and everything else you you chuck into the volcano volcano fires and destroy." Because he was so good at crafting weapons, he was. He was fearful that they would be used against the Imperium. So he said, if I can't look after these things, they're going to get in the wrong hands. And so I'm going to task my, my most trusted Forge Master to burn everything that, I, that, that we have because I'd rather burn all these wonders I've created in a fugue state rather than them be used by the traitors. And uh, he would die, quote, at the Battle of Istvan. And he can't keep a good Vulcan down, he would not let that slow him down at all. So, uh, anything else we want to mention about Vulcan? If anyone, if I'm ready to... Does anyone else want to go first, or should uh, I? You, you could go. I was going to say, if, again, if like, someone's new to Warhammer, and you're probably wondering, it sounds alright, but why does everyone really like Vulcan? Vulcan is the... Other than maybe Gilliman and a few others... Vulcan is really raised like actually like a normal person, like with family and love, and he's actually given a healthy like a healthy life, and that and he turns out obviously he's to wholesome. Be most, yeah, he's the most human, truly the most human on the inside out of all the Primarchs. Unless you are an unarmed Eldar child. <laughs> I was thinking that yeah, as well. Unless you are an unarmed Eldar child, <laughs> then you get the flamethrower. <laughs> Have you seen that meme of the salamanders in the bushes and there's an elder child who's like, oh my gosh, this is wrong. And then he just chucks a knife and he's like, it's got, got a, a knife. knife and sets fire. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he's, he's, he's really, he's not just, like, when we say nice, he is, he's not just nice. Like he can really lay it down uh, if he needs, to. that sounds, that sounds filthy. <laughs> he, he, he puts he, himself um, between a child and an orbital bombardment, doesn't he? Yeah. In the heart yeah. of the dragon. He also, um, Oh, so like he, that even when he, even amongst his brothers as well, he, the reason he wouldn't often win 
against him in so-called like duels or like bouts, like people don't often rank him high up on like the who's the best duelist is because he would always hold back because he's the only one of them who didn't want to hurt them. He actually loved them. And so he would always hold back. And then obviously famously, basically after the point of in the heresy when he decided, all right, I'm not holding back anymore. He's basically won every fight since then. Like he, mm. I'm not holding back, proceeds to crunk curs. Like it's also a hammer, the best line ever. <laughs> and, like, I think I even like, like literally smash, like, you know, uh, with the hammer and oh, who's the character in Smash Bros? Who like, um, Ice Climber? Yeah, it might be that, yeah. And then it just like, just absolutely crunks. Oh, or like, you know, um, yeah, of course. Is Smash Bros. when you do the move with the baseball bat? Oh, and yeah. It, like, oh, yeah, he like, and then someone goes flying off the edge. That was Vulcan. Uh, I was thinking of that one where it's like a like that that power hand. It's like bonk. He's definitely the physically strongest one. He even he beats Magnus as well in the throne room. He literally there's a it sounds really awful in this when you read the book like the description of it because it's basically Magnus tries to. Kill the emperor, he fails, and then accidentally kills one of Vulcan's sons in front of him, and he just goes, "No, you dickhead!" And then he just—I don't know if he said that exactly. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. But it's a really funny. It's a really bit morbid, but it's funny because then him and two of the salamanders just proceed to like kind of you know when someone's on the floor and they're like they're kicking them when they're down. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah so it's like, like beating on him. Like one of them cuts his hand off, and then just they're all just like crunking and like oh uh, oh uh, like you know just smacking him. So Vulcan can actually beat a lot of the other Primarchs because he is physically the strongest one out of all of them. He is always held back because he's so nice. Mm. To be to be yeah. fair to Magnus, he did kill Vulcan. To then not be fair to Magnus, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> he killed yeah. him later, to be fair. A demon Magnus killed him. Normal Magnus couldn't. couldn't oh, yeah. No. Mm. I mean, even Ferris Manus in, in that, I believe it's Heart of the Dragon, is like observing him fighting and he's like, yeah, he's a destroyer. I think that's the word he uses. Like, in a fight, I've seen the other Primarchs fight. He he goes scorched, forgive the pun, scorched earth, Budum tush, because salamanders love fire. And uh, yeah, but he's a very nice chap. He's very wholesome, you know. All, all the memes, he's usually like, they're really like the guy who loves dogs, stuff like that. Like, ah, oh, I love Vulcan. He's a big, he's a, cuddly he's giant. A big friendly giant, but again, a giant that can probably flatten you in half. Bang. Literally pancake, <laughs> but you. chooses not to because he's a nice guy. Yeah. Pancake, pancake, use an actual term we have to use now. He can pancake, <laughs> pancake, <laughs> pancakes a word bearer flat. Like take that. Um, but other than that, uh, otherwise, Colin, would you like to uh, resume on our last loyalist uh, to talk about for the whole of the Primarchs we've covered so far? I would, but really quickly, there's a comparison actually. As you were speaking with a Warhammer fantasy character, if I could do that real quick. Sure. I know where this is going. I was uh, thinking it as well. It was like, that popped in my head as you were speaking. I was like, all right, someone at GW copied their homework. Uh, but it's uh, the character's name. Actually, their names are even kind of similar. Uh, Valton. He's uh, the... So he was born, and kind of like Vulcan, he has like this understanding of craftsmanship. He's born stronger and more intelligent than the others. And... In the way, you know, Vulcan's a Primarch, he's kind of obviously special because he's the size of three grown men at age three. Uh, Vulcan was born with a twin-tailed comet birthmark, the uh, sign of Sigmar. So both of them are kind of marked for greatness. 
and even both of them are both raised by blacksmiths and learn how to be smiths and even they have the exact same like combat thing too almost to a t where uh in vulcan's case is the dark eldar in valton's case a massive horde of beastmen raid the village he's born in and sure enough uh valton picks up two of his father's blacksmith hammers goes to town and all the villagers fight with him and drive off the beastmen so it's I like thought, poetry they rhyme oh, yeah hmm. it was like oh as you were speaking i was like that is neat i was thinking yeah. that i didn't want to mention it because i thought you might mention volton at some Indeed. point uh, is he Bolton Sigma or not actually reborn Sigma? So a portion of Sigmar's power is in Volton, and a portion of it is in Galmaraz. And then when Volton Galmaraz, oh, the Empire endures. Except it doesn't, because Volton's an End Times character. And he <laughs> do, I don't want to spoil, spoil what happens to him, but it is oh, this pain. Is, this is a certified Deathmaster snitch <laughs> moment. Yeah. <laughs> a hood classic there, and I was like, "It's not a hood classic. Not a hood classic. Mm. This is a garbage fire." <laughs> Nobel Peace Prize, and above that is certified hood classic. <laughs> <laughs> That's an achievement. Oh, oh my one of them. But uh, but yeah, that was that was just something as we were you were speaking. It was like, oh, hang on a minute, they rhyme, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, with that said, shall we quote the raven? We shall quote the raven nevermore. Bird, 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 nevermore. Corvus Corax. <laughs> Are you serious? I've mastered the ability of standing so incredibly still that I've become invisible to the eye. Uh, that sums it up, basically. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's Corvus Corax for you. <laughs> Corvus Corax says, caca, caca. Ah! He was... Uh, he landed on the moon Lysaeus. Uh, once again, apologies to any Greek speakers out there. All right. I believe it's... All right, Lysaeus. I got it right. Yeah, Which was a it's moon? like, like Lycaeus, Lysaeus, one of the two. Uh, uh, but this... It was a moon orbiting the planet of Kiavar. Kiavar was a forge world, while Lysaeus was basically a planet-wide mining pit that would supply the forge world with materials for them to make all their stuff. They had guilds down on Kiavar and they supplied themselves with the slave labor up on Lysaeus. And when Corvus landed there, the people who found him believed that he was a savior they had been waiting for. And because of, you know, and you know, he's a baby that falls out of the sky, seems to be doing quite well for himself for a baby that fell out of the sky. So despite the fact that well, because they're slaves, they don't exactly have a lot to go around, they pool together what they have to keep him alive and train him in all the things they know. So because they, they're kind of going all in on Corvus being the savior, the, uh, they train him in the art, things like rulership, philosophy, politics. But more uh, relevantly for Corvus's skill set, all sorts of covert black ops stuff. Stealth, sabotage, uh, if you really need to do it, assassination, sneaking about, all that... Uh, sneaky stuff the his legion would become known for and as he was growing up he slowly diverted resources to weapons productions he didn't do it all at once he made sure to be quiet about it so that the guilds down in kiavar wouldn't notice this uh the shipment is about half as big as it should have been and these slaves have a lot more weapons than they did before he was very cautious with it and he would store away weapons into caches to be used for later and while he was doing that, him and his operatives would 
essentially stoke the fires of rebellion. So they uh, stoked discontent. They'd cause riots at key moments and locations. And uh, just ima- imagine the world's most emo French resistant operative. And uh, <laughs> you, got, you got Corvus Corax. <laughs> Le Corvus Corax. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And uh, when it was finally time for open res- open uh, revolt, is that what? Oh God, what's what's that line from Dawn of War? Uh, Corvus deployed multiple simultaneous and devastating deep strikes across mm. Lysaeus uh, with all those weapons that he had uh, been storing away. And when Kievar responded with its military proper, Corvus and his forces used just the best urban combat and run tactics you have ever seen in your life and wore them down with just unparalleled uh, tactical and strategic uh, warfare. And it came to a head when the gravity tethers used to ferry supplies to Kievar were nuked. Uh, so if you played, if you ever played Halo 3 ODST, uh, that mission mm. where the uh, new Mombasa, the space elevator falls apart in front of you, uh, that only multiple times. <laughs> Eat first, straight into hell. And back again. Uh, and this uh, caused the planet Kiavar, because its sources of supplies are no longer existent, plunged into civil war, and the plant, the inhabitants of Kiavar renamed the planet to Deliverance. And uh, I think yeah, Corvus's, Cor- Corvus Corex's name even translates to Savior or Deliverer, if I'm remembering the exact thing correctly but not the one we hear because we know exactly no, what it means no because his name means bird bird for us <laughs> raven raven oh what a oh. thank you dw that's almost as bad as iron hands <laughs> oh someone corrected me the other day on my iron hands video ferris manus doesn't mean iron hands what does it mean it means iron man i I know it's that not. It's not much better. Brow, brow, brow. Manus, manus. Yeah, manus. It is not actually iron. Congratulations, hands. we're up from an F to an F plus. <laughs> I, I guess know. if it was iron hands, it'd be like uh, ferrous appendage or <laughs> appendus. <laughs> Anyone hasn't noticed, by the way, this there's a heavy, um, quoth the raven, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, Which Edgar is- Allan Poe is Corvus Corax. Which is funny because I read that he doesn't really like poetry. <laughs> Which is just really funny to me. I think, well, there's like a whole, also his life kind of rhymes with elements of that poem as well. Yeah. Which is like, oh, I, I, it's one of the few things where like, if you read it, you go, it's not too bad. But from when you describe it to you, the listeners, <laughs> our victims, yeah. you think, what are these people talking yeah, about? Wh- wh- this person copied my homework. When it's not some, when it's summed up in five minutes and not a three hundred page novel, it's kind of insufferable. <laughs> not insufferable, but it's like, oh, that is so heavy handed. It's it's better. It's a, bit, it's a bit pretentious. We can say that. Like yeah, Ark yeah. and Land and Land Raiders. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's not even pretentious. That's just stupid. <laughs> that's the guy. That's like good stupid though. This is Corvus yeah, Corax. Yeah. Is is it feels lazy at yeah. times. Bird, bird. I'd say, unfortunately, he has, I hate to say it, Guy Haley's has got one of the worst Primark books. As in, like, the, the, just the exclusive Primark novels. I didn't... Uh, did you, have you read that one, Andy, too? The, uh, which one? Corex? The 
Korax, um, just the not, Primark novel. Not yet, not yet. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I, I wasn't really a fan of the Magnus one. I was reading that, I was listening to that, and I was like, oh, it's a bit slow. It's, it's a really bit good slow. Ones, really near ones. I think that one, unfortunately, has one of the most boring. <laughs> it's really annoying because Guy Haley is a really good writer, but mm. I think he's given, when, he's, when you're given Corvus Korax, unfortunately, uh, it, it has a slight trouble where a lot of the other legions have like an interesting culture or, or thing to draw from. Yeah, draw from the Raven Guard and Corvus Corax's draw is not as comp- at least I'll say to, to me not as compelling. Every other page is, and then he brooded in the corner menacingly. <laughs> Nevermore. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's he's not he's not bad. It's just I will say something good about him, which is. Uh, his flaw as a human being is written quite well because he is obviously, he looks very similar to Conrad Kurz. No, there's, there's obviously a coincidence there. The reason that him and, you know, the gaunt, you know, gaunt features, black hair and black eyes, the reason they obviously look so similar, but they also have a, both have a problem with justice. And Corvus Corax's problem is similarly that he just, he just cannot uh, let go of things. And so he even, in his own Primark book, he, rather than making a, a sound tactical decision, he actually abandons his theatre of war to chase down a criminal who would escape it, even though it's not the... It, it, it was... Uh, he was making a moral decision that wouldn't... That would obviously affect the battle in itself. And it shows you he's got kind of a similar problem with Comrade, where he just... Needs he doesn't let people escape his vengeance. Oh god! <laughs> well, if that's the case, then do you reckon if Conrad and Korax swap places, that Korax would be as bad as Kurz? Or that—that that was their whole opinion? thing. That's what. Yeah. That's what. what Conrad. Which whose side are you there? taking? Are you taking the Night Haunter or the Liberator? I'll Eli go first. I think I need to. I, I remember something about it, but I'm going to digest it. Eli, what do you think? Uh, I think he'd probably end up just as bad as Curtis, but I don't really, mm. I don't know much about him other than he got ratioed by the Alpha Legion. <laughs> 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 and also in my, in my filthy, disgusting alternate reality, uh, Conrad happens to be the perfect Gene Steeler cult Primark. It's just throwing that out. Oh, there. that is quite heretical, Ooh. that one. <laughs> what do you think, Colin? Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I... I like I like I mean I like Corvus more. I I don't even know. I, I, that he's hard to I, know, isn't he? Most people don't know I don't much know, about him. I think him. Conrad Kurz is pretty cool. Uh, at least in like the whole like just with his psychic the visions and being tormented all the time and his whole thing with fate. But I do like how Corvus saw his legion uh, and was like, "I need to change this because otherwise I'm going to end up like that guy over there." So I don't know. He, Corvus has some definitely has some bright spots, but. Andy, what do you think? Well, the, the, I was thinking about this a while back. Like, Corex has the innate ability to absorb the darkness and be invisible. One of the reasons he isn't found on Lycaeus is because he can literally just... People can look straight at him and not see him. So I feel like if he grew up on Nostromo, instead of massacring people to survive, he'd be able to, to skulk and sneak around and, and avoid conflict in that regard. And maybe I, maybe it's just me thinking, oh, Corex is a good boy he would maybe target the elites and then rather than preying on the populace whereas like Kurz, if he was on 
like Chaos, he would kind of do the same thing because, you know, Korax is there going, ah, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. <laughs> fired. And just, he, could, he would do it in a different way. And I feel like he would, he would get different outcomes. Maybe that's just me making mental gymnastics, but I feel like the core principles of those two are so different in their own way yeah. that they would get similar outcomes. Actually, funny enough, I just remembered it. I had to think about it because I remember it's been a while since I've read Corvus's uh, books. Unfortunately, I had to read all of them. I suffered. Uh, <laughs> but I remember it's funny because in each of like Comrades and Corvus's books, when they talk about each other, Conrad admits he's jealous of Corvus in a way because he's like he obviously mastered the shadows, whereas Conrad just lived in it. Where Corvus has a thing where he deeply like hates himself on some level, and he often thinks that he actually would have if he had landed like similar. If he wasn't basically raised with people who took care of him, he probably would have ended up like Conrad, like a monster. So he doesn't really. That like he has like a deep fear about ending up like that, and also there's like a there is a gene flaw within the Raven Guard that most people don't know about, which is I can't remember the name of it, but they actually like a member can fall into a state of like deep self-loathing, like it's is is literally in his yeah, blood. They get like really angry. Well, not angry. Their, they get really like moody and it is broody. in their blood to be emo. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, and they they can't. They just start finding hot topic shirts everywhere. Like, where did I get this? I don't even know this band. Whose shirt? What's this? They yeah, pretty so much someone, like can't as, as they it. get like through the stages, they don't communicate well with other marines, and they like get really like uh, fidgety and terse. It's just like they just become moody gits the longer it goes on. It's like they they can't very rarely do some of them make it out of it as well. So most of them ended up just go they go to like these special squads that are essentially used as like oh you'll do basically whatever mission is like got 0.1 percent odds you the volunteer i think so yeah but they there's something within corvus where he's deeply self-loathing and like especially after isfa i mean Fucking, I know. As his entire legion gets, <laughs> as, soon as, at, as, as soon as he's at Istvan, he has an outlet. He's like, "Cut my foes into pieces." This, this is, is my last resort. He he has some redeeming quality about him. He is kind of like Gilliman in the sense that he's actually extremely competent and. There's a there's a cool part of one of the novels where he returns back to Terra and they go to get the some of the special gene seed, Primark gene seed in the Emperor's lab. And the Emperor shows Core how to basically navigate it. And he kind of does that thing where like he goes like, Alright, I'm going mind state, and he basically navigates an entire he, he navigates his uh, legionaries and custodians through like an entire maze like it, just with his he, he does that thing in the um robert downey jr sherlock holmes films where he's like envisioning it. he's like he literally yeah, is that yeah, yeah. do okay. this and a, that and then that <laughs> i like to think he had a jimmy neutron brain blast <laughs> 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 a little bit cool than that but he, he is he, yeah the, the downsides of corvus unfortunately are like some of the writing stuff but in general he's he's, he's all right he's he's kind of cool and obviously 
fighting against the Raven God is terrifying because <laughs> it's just, you know, basically the shadows, the enemy is the shadows. Where are they? It's like fighting a million battles. Like, where are they? Where are they? Where am I just being attacked from? To, uh, to wrap off with Chorus, Court, 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 Birdman. Chorus, Birdman. Uh, Harvey Birdman. Uh, Daniel Law. <laughs> he, uh, the Emperor arrives on the same day as the renaming of the planet to Deliverance. And he was pretty happy with the with what with what Corvus had done, and in exchange for the emperor helping restore order down on Kiavar, so you know Corvus he's got he's got a sense of justice. He's not too vengeful. He uh, the Corvus will take command of the Raven Guard Legion of Space Marines. Uh, they spoke for a couple days. No one knows what they said. That just kind of they hashed out that deal during that time, and Corvus would uh, as I kind of said a bit earlier he would he was not a fan of the Terran elements of his legion because they were a bit too uh night hauntery for him for his likings mm. so they would uh he would kind of send them off to do things separate from the rest of the legion and then uh they uh go across the galaxy great crusading very sneakily and then interestingly enough two things he uh he is the guy, I kind of said earlier, he was the one Primarch who wasn't the biggest fan of Horus. If I believe I, the reason was Horus kind of ordered him to do like a frontal assault oh, of a fortified gate enemy location. 60, 65 or something like 46, gate 46. Yeah. And he's like, he uses them as pawns and he's yeah. like, my son, and he's very protective of Astartes as well. Like he does not like his men dying at all. Yeah. So Horus forced him into something that A, was completely out of the Raven Guard's element and standard operating procedure. And B resulted in a lot of dead birds. So Corvus was not <laughs> out of out of, out of, uh, out of all the Primarchs, Corvus Corax was probably the only one who d- did not like Horus because of that. And if I remember correctly, that was rather early on in the uh, Hor- yeah. Horus's tenure as the War Master. So that could have been Horus's kind of growing pains as the War Master. Mm. Uh, although that being said, I could just be giving Horus credit, and maybe he was just being a prick. <laughs> I mean, he, oh, yeah. he he didn't think it through. He's like, I want the Raven Guard to do like an Iron Warriors esque frontal assault. Yeah, it's like, yeah. bruh, do you know what the Raven Guard do? Are you what? What are you on about? Yeah, get them to do sneaky stuff. Uh, That's what they do. Not not great showing by Horus. Funny that he. But then again, Horus also didn't like his men dying, so he was like, oh, the Raven Guard can die instead because my son, <laughs> my sons are more important. Basically, <laughs> fuck you, got mine. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not sending my men to do the dirty work and get no, you do it. Yeah. And then uh, one last thing for Horus, he had, or not Horus, Chorus, Cor- oh my god, Corvus Corax. <laughs> stop na- stop naming characters ending with us, GW, I beg of you. Raven, Raven, Raven Man, Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe. He, uh, he had an older sister slash mother figure named Natsuri Ephrenia, which I thought was mm. neat. Oh yeah, she's the one who, when he crash landed... He saw the little girl in front of his capsule. She's the first human he ever saw. And then later, mm. he uh, he saves her life, and then she goes on to become a shipmaster, if I remember correctly. She's a, she's survives. She takes him from Istvan, and she like she basically lives. She's an old lady by at that time, and she's been she's yeah, been, she's she's been like out in the yeah, she's she's pretty old, but she's pretty. It's pretty cute that part because it's like he rides back on the ship, armor damaged, and you know. He, most of his legion died. It's just like, oh, there you are, friend. What are you doing on this fan step, brother? Oh, why'd you ruin it? It was so nice. 
Certified call-in moment. <laughs> I lied in the script when I said <laughs> I would hold myself back from any uncouth jokes. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, Andy, would you like to talk about the Alpha Legion guys? Where's the baby? There he is. Where's the baby? There he is. All right, okay. Um, so little is known about Alpharius. Good night, folks. That's all we got. Thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Despise. Yeah, like and subscribe. Um, no, okay. See you next time. Um, it's kind of diff- I, again. I, I know. I said um, who was it? I said one of the Primarchs. Uh, Horus. There isn't much before the Heresy. Alpharius. There isn't much at all. That's kind of his thing. Um, but yeah, the the interesting thing about the twentieth Primarch is there's actually two, and we ha- I have to disclaimer this. Um, according to Alpharius. The guy who's known to be a manipulator and a liar. He was the first Primarch ever to be found. So take it with a grain of salt. But the idea is, uh, when the Primarchs were scattered across the stars, one of the twins, Omegon, would be spirited away. But Alpharius actually never left Terra. The, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but the Emperor and the Custodians just kind of go like, oh, here's one. Like, they just go like outside, and there's just a pod on the floor, and they're like, found him, cool. That's that's a quick, quick Primark found. Oh my god! You have to, I have to say it. The the emperor actually does superhero landing. Like, <laughs> Iron no, Man style. It's so funny in the book because it's like he gets out the pod and they're like, like scrounging humans next to it. Like they're they're wondering like what's going on. And the baby Alpharis is like, I'm gonna have to fight these people. And then it's just superhero landing. And then like Golden Man descends <laughs> down. He just kills all all. And he's like, I'm sorry, I had to do that. I like to imagine the Emperor was going for a snack and he opened his drawer and he's like, oh, there's a baby in here. <laughs> oh, it's the, oh, it's the one no one likes. Oh, oh wait, oh, well. that's my baby. Oh. Is that licorice flavored? <laughs> oh. oh, dear. Uh, anyway, moving on swiftly from that comment. Um, so, according to Alpharius, he was mentored by the Emperor for a very long time because even though Caphonia was close, it still took the... Took, the Emperor a while to find Horus Lupercal. And so Alpharius sneakily positions himself as actually the protagonist of the 40k universe and says, oh, actually, I was the first one found. I was the one the Emperor trusted most. I killed a custodian on my own, on I call. And he basically says that he was he was kind of like the Emperor's sleeper cell contingency for all the plans he made. He, he bigs himself up as the one who's the one working in the shadows, Malkador-esque, doing dirty work and sneaky stuff and also putting on a public face and masterminding a lot of the stuff that the other Primarchs aren't privy to. Again, take it with a grain of salt, it's the Alpha Legion. Um, Alpharius would reunite with his brother, Omegan, and once they once they got the band back together, Alpha Legion, Alpha Legion, Alpha Legion all over the place, and no one knows exactly what they were up to or what they do. Um, their allegiances up to the Horus Heresy. We, you know, some people say Alpharius is a loyalist. Others say he's a traitor. Others say that Omegan's the traitor and Alpharius is the loyalist. Some people say Omegan is Alpharius and Alpharius is Omegan. Some people say that Rebute Gilliman is Alpharius. Some people That's say right, that David. Alpharius died at the hands of Dawn. Others say that Gilliman killed him. Others say that Ted 
on planet Nova Scotia killed him. No one knows. It's the Alpha Legion. Alpharius. I, Hy- Hydra Dominatus. I am Alpharius. This lies. is a lie. I don't know what more to say. It's Alpharius. He's good at infiltrating. He's short. He has a you're actually, Are you actually losing he, it? He, he, has, he has great intelligence, but no one knows whose side he's on. Is he a heretic? Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he a loyalist? Oh I don't Lord. know. It's Alpharius. Alpharius, everyone. This is a lie. Let me... This is, let me, this is too much energy. Let, this is too me, much let me, energy. Let me, let me <laughs> walk you through a scenario let's say alfarius goes to mcdonald's to pick up a burger here's how games workshop would write that alfarius went to mcdonald's to pick up a burger but maybe it was burger king and maybe it was a space marine it wasn't alfarius but what if it was alfarius but what if it was omegon we won't tell you any answers because we don't know what a mystery is. We're just going to what throw... What is a Big Mac? All, all of the... What is a Big Mac? Did he really order a burger? Maybe it was a Shamrock Shake. By the way, go get yourself a Shamrock Shake. This is not sponsored. I just fucking love Shamrock <laughs> Shakes. Uh, yeah, it's... The, the, the Alpha Legion's writing is to throw all of the questions you could possibly have on the floor and then never pick them up, never answer them. Some say that Alpharius went for the vegan option, but we all know... That Alpharius is a cannibal. Uh, not a cannibal, a carnivore. This <laughs> is a lie. It's like, but that itself is a lie. Alpharius is vegan, but he's not. He's. I don't know how to write mysteries. Megan says he's a pescatarian, but we all know that Megan lies. And if you're slightly, truth, but this is a lie. If you're slightly lost uh, listening to this, for the new people here, welcome uh, to the Alpha Legion. Alpha Legion uh, deception and lies themselves they're pretty hard to follow at times and often to us i think as well sometimes quite frustrating because it's there's a bit of a trope of aha we knew all along that kind of thing in certain stories you have where it's like we're alfaris all along yeah Yeah. it's it's, a little bit frustrating but they are pretty they are cool in many ways but that's it's it's, it's a big overarching trope though the premise could be cool it's just an execution you'll never get any straight answers which again mystery is cool i like when there's mysteries give you stuff to talk about but nothing is ever answered and it's just it just gets frustrating after a while when and 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 like you said hell add on top of that every other drop of a hat games workshop will go Oh, actually, the Alpha Legion planned this all along. Or did they? Here's a question. See if we can get a consensus on this. Uh, did Alvarius get killed by Rogel Dawn? Yes or no? Yes. Maybe. No, technically. See, three different answers right there. <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> no technically of the Alpha Legion. Because this is some deep... This is like deeper... I think this theory is conjecture. I think this theory this is this is slightly conjecture. But I don't think it's that grounded. Well, no, it's in the Alpha Legion book when Alpharis and Omegon met. Omegon was found last. Alpharis supposedly first. When they when he rescued his brother and they arrived back on their flagship, they agreed to trade places permanently. So the Alpharis who had been on Terra then became Omegon. And so therefore, throughout the Horus Heresy, where it seemed like Omegon was sabotaging at certain stages, that was the Alpharius who's slightly more Terran loyal because he obviously grew up on Terra. So when we say Alpharius got killed by Rogel Dawn, that's actually Omegon who was whisked away by the Chaos Gods to a different planet. So Alpharius didn't die that day. Alpharius is considered alive well of course if then, that makes sense then flip that around how do we know they didn't switch places again or how do we know that <laughs> like musical chairs <laughs> we'll, we'll or never, they, or that we'll never... didn't just lie about it 
we'll never know, but to most of the Alpha Legion also have one of the better books in the entire Horrors Heresy, which is the book Legion, because they do have uh, they are quite interesting in the fact that they operate like I think you say, Colin, like you like how the Ultramarines operate like a modern army. Mm-hmm. The Alpha Legion in some of the books, which are they're good in, they actually operate like a modern espionage cell oh, CIA. <laughs> but they actually are comp- They really are competent, and that is annoying when there's so much like, but uh, the the true thing all along. But they do have their their redeeming factor is that they do outclass a lot of the legions, not necessarily in combat, but in terms of the. The other legions will win the battle, but the Alpha Legion will always win the war. But they, it, but if they have to agree on what war they're fighting first, if you know what I mean. I guess the real Alpharius was the Alpharius's we made along the way. Yeah, that's right. Ooh. I think Eli, you hate that book, don't you? Where Alpharius dies to the. Yeah, uh, I wasn't a big one. fan of it. Why do you Why do you hate that one so much? Because I haven't read it yet. It's been a while since I read it, but it's mostly like. I'm Rogel Torn, and I'm smarter than Alpharius, and I'm going to outsmart the Alpha Legion at their own game for an entire book because the Alpha Legion are prideful. And because of that one negative trait, they're going to lose every battle in this book. That's, that's, that sums it up for me. Yeah. The thing is, there is like a bit where the Alpha Legion deal with the Shattered Legions with um, the Iron Hands and such, and there's like a bit where Alpharius Wink gets shot in the head and is brain gets blown out and then the real Alpharius turns up and he's so and if it is him he's so smarmy he like he outclasses all the remaining Astartes he kills a few he wounds a few and he's like oh look over there I'm about to detonate this bomb tee hee hee oh you're not so clever hello Nikona Sherikin you're a good swordsman but I'm better don't try it bye it's like Alpharius could you stop being smarmy for two minutes that's their kind of that's the fatal flaw of it's always hard to know particularly the 20th Primarch is true personality but the that's like kind of his fatal flaw isn't it where he he wants others to see his brilliance he has a certain mm. even though he's meant to be a stealth and well not sorry not stealth but i mean uh espionage, dece- deceptive yeah. espionage legion they do want others to recognize it does make sense though because they never get like any glory and so he's probably a bit like oh all my brothers get all this renown and I, I want i want like a little just a little to satisfy me it's like a serial killer leading notes to the police <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly that that's know. pretty that's pretty spot on As, uh, yeah, some, oh, go ahead, sorry I, I i was just gonna say as far as i'm concerned rogaldorn is my top favorite primarchs because he took a chainsaw to alfarius's face <laughs> <laughs> well, he, cut his, he cut his arms off first didn't he as well even better he, he died pretty badly. One slight redeeming thing about Alpharius, he actually values like normal humans to the, the same degree of like space marines. So the Alpha Legion often use operatives and they, they, they've conquered worlds without even putting a space marine on it. Yeah, so, they've conquered worlds firing a single shot with like um, Exodus, their like specialist sniper. They're, they're pretty efficient. Um, yeah, but I, I, can I just mention like something yeah. stupid? Um, Colin, you said Rogel Dawn cut off Alpharius' arms, and then before he died, Rogel Dawn said to Alpharius, Hydra Dominarmless. Nah, it could be annoying, but I will say, like, in the uh, Alpha Legion, sorry, Alpha Legion, Alpharius book, though, I did like some people 
I've seen that some of the other creators, they don't like that Alfaro seems quite normal when he interacts with normal people. But Alfaro does talk to, like space rings can be a bit condescending and they'll talk to other, you know, space, we are, we're the super soldiers, we're the best. And Alpha Legion value the humans as much as the Astartes in their mm. Legion. So their Legion serfs are actually treated like equals, which is quite, I like that because it, it shows how they function like an actual army would, like a, even though they're a bit, they're a bit, you know, up their own end, shall we say, in terms of yeah. oh, we are smarter than everyone. If you if you bear the brand of the the Hydra, you're one of us. Doesn't matter if you're Astartes or not, which is fairly admirable. Also, their pretty cool. Primark armor, Alpharis's armor, the best armor. He does have, by far. He does. Have oh my lord! I will He's give him gorgeous. Mm. The Hydra mm. armor is by far the coolest Primark armor. By far. I, I, I'm in love with it. It's my favorite look. But you just want to run you... your hands on the scales and be like, look at the grooves. It's the only one I'd think I would actually wear that suit of armor out of all of the other Primarchs. I wouldn't wear Magnus's like horned uh, monstrosity <laughs> or <laughs> the nipple horns. Or doorways and everything. I, I wouldn't wear that. Yeah, it's the only piece of armor I'd like. I, I'd wear that piece because that's glorious. And also, his weapon is pretty cool. Vulcan's uh, pretty cool. I know, but it's chunk, and it'll be too heavy. Well, but I'd actually be too, all of the Primarchs would be too heavy. Mm. Alpharius is still like ten feet tall. In my head, I'm not normal sized me in a Primarch sized armor. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, if this could be in your head, then you can have Vulcan's armor too. It's all I know, it, No, it just looks too chunky. Yeah, you can I don't move faster. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Jagatai simp. I'd be like, I like that. Cool, because it's not like bulky armor. It's got that drip. Now, even Sanguinis yeah. has got that drip with the, like, it's not a, not a, um, a, a cheetah, but it's like that big pelt that he wears. And it's oh, like yeah. a slow leopard looking oof, oof. thing. I quite like the lion's armor when he has his helmet on. Looks like a cool knight. Mm. I think that, I think they got, I mean, I know Fulgrim's one's meant to be nicer, but I do have to say, I don't think I could wear it because you'd have to look like a supermodel. <laughs> be like, it's a bit much. I'm going out tonight. It's a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe we should take the glitter off. <laughs> No, I, do, I, do, I don't mind the Alpha Legion as much because I have. You ha, it's one of those ones you have to read their books. So then, like, the kind of. Again, it's like with Corvus Corax thing, it's the Raven Raven. Oh, if you, if you read the Alpha Legion books, it's like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Although, again, on a grand scale thing, it's kind of annoying because it. it just describing their like schemes is like oh they, they tend to cameo in a lot of other legion books of side characters yeah. that are involved so that's the thing about alpha legion don't have many books to themselves it's more of oh and they're also here doing something schemey i know it's so annoying that also annoys me about them it's like hey look we're 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 everywhere don't don't ask where we got the resources to be here we're the alpha legion we, <laughs> we, we can just be and, everywhere and as someone who tries to do videos of all the legions, I am running out of characters to talk about from the Alpha Legion because they're all just bold guys. And it's like, I am Alpha. It's like, cool. Anything interesting? This is a lie. All right, next <laughs> next character. Yeah, teased. Oh, we forgot to say they also all surgically look like Alpharius. They they surgery themselves, so they that level of espionage is just on the level of absurd. No. Like only one character could tell the difference. I think we did. It was in our, one of our shout out oh, yeah, early quizzes. Only one person is able to pick out that Alpharius and on Omegon from their own legionaries because they're they're almost as the same height as a le- normal legionary. 
that was a John Grammaticus because he could tell that they looked unreasonably similar. Like all the other ones that had surgery, there's always like one or two features that were just not quite perfect, but they were uncanny. And then they were copy the and paste. And you're like, hang on. Yeah, he was the only person to. Also, Alpharas and Armagon, by the way, they got along really well. Obviously, they, but then they didn't. Allegedly. Allegedly, but we don't necessarily know if they agreed long term about this is goals. A lie. They might have been fighting each other in the end. True. With that five minute discussion of lore and 15 minute discussion of why the Alpha Legion <laughs> is annoying, that has been the Primarchs. And. Yeah, that is uh, up till the Great Crusade yes. and a little bit during, and also sometimes a little bit after the Great Crusade, just as a, a little hint of what's to come. That should be your uh, your primer on the Primarchs, your primer mark. Mm. And uh, yeah, and if uh, let us know, of course, the uh, the question of the week, which Primark you least want to babysit, what's the worst case scenario? Let us know the second question, if you'd rather... Uh, Double jump and shit yourself, or fly and shit yourself. Don't forget that one either. Both scenarios have <laughs> definition. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for watching, uh, listening. And if you want to know more about, particularly a, a legion or a primark, obviously let us know. We love to hear your feedback, and obviously we want to do what you guys are interested in. Mm-hmm. And they've all and got books. They've all yep. got books too, and. For our next episode, we will be doing a little bit... We're going to go a little bit further away from Space Marines. We're going to be doing the Farsight Enclaves. Xenos. So we're Xenos. Some Xenos lore, boys. Uh, so we'll be doing some uh, spicy uh, Tau, but not quite Tau. You'll see, what we, you'll see what we mean when we get into the nitty-gritty. Indeed. Other than that, uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all very soon. Take care, everyone.